This episode was recorded during the dual WGA and SAG-AFTRA strike. As fans and content creators, we stand in solidarity with the creatives currently on strike. There is power in a union. It's the 200th episode of Rewatching the Magic with our very special guest, Luke Ski, Adam Liebrich Johnson, and Kyle A. Carroza! Happy 200th episode, Kiki! Happy 200th episode, Tuesday! 200 episodes, 200 consecutive weeks of doing this show. How have we survived doing it? I do, I do not know. And what better way to celebrate 200 episodes of this show by talking about something that we both grew up with, we both love... Jim Henson's The Muppet Show. We've talked about so much how much we love The Muppets and Jim Henson and The Muppet Show being such a big part of that. So, Kiki, I will ask a question to you. When did you first uh, get into The Muppet Show? I was... Not even verbal years old. I mean, I I don't remember a time in my life without Muppets. I definitely had Sesame Street Muppets from the time I was zero. I mean, that I know. Um, As far as the Muppet show itself, I would have to assume it was that same time because I literally do not remember a moment in my life that was not the the full Muppet line for me the same I had the Sesame Street Muppets there was that bit that you know Fraggle Rock on HBO the Muppet movies but for me I remember watching reruns of the Muppet show on TNT back in the day I don't know what channel you were watching it on, but I remember specifically watching it on TNT in the States. Uh, it did jump from a, did jump through a few networks over, over through the eighties and nineties. Uh, Nickelodeon had it for a little bit. I remember the Nickelodeon years. They, when I was a little bit older and I forget which channel it was, but Brian Henson recorded opening um bits for each episode i don't know if you remember this but brian henson recorded for one of the channels that it went to little bits about the background of each episode or something that was unique about each episode or a a memory or whatever um, so he would say, like, when working on this episode, my father used this technique or the Muppet performers did something and maybe he'd show a behind the scenes clip. And then he would say, like, here's episode number, you know, and then he would introduce the guest and then they would play the episode. So that's. 
the time I remember most clearly because I think those started airing when I was, I don't know, 12, 13 maybe. But maybe I that forget was like, the, the channel that it was on. I I know it was on TNT, Nickelodeon, and, and maybe the Disney Channel. But you, we already discussed that in previous episode that you didn't have the Disney Channel around that time. So yeah, I mean, I remember have... watching them on Nickelodeon for a while, and then I think it was some kind of like ABC Family or some kind of affiliated channel Hallmark. like that that he did Hallmark on, or something. Yeah, I think I think those were the Hallmark because it was on the Hallmark Channel for a while. Yeah, but he anyway the ones that had the little Brian Henson come out and introduce the episodes were the time I remember it most clearly and those were the ones that had the more complete ones that they had put back in a lot of the UK spots that had been never shown in America before and Nickelodeon had cut out a lot of extra spots to fit in extra commercials so when I watched them on Nickelodeon, you didn't see the original U.S. airing either. For people that don't know, there were always two edits of The Muppet Show when it showed originally. Because they aired on, I believe, BBC in the U.K., they needed to run longer because they didn't break for commercials. And so there was always an extra sketch that they did for UK television because they had to fill that airtime because they didn't break for commercials. But in the US, it never aired because there were always commercial edits. Um, so there was always an extra what they called the UK spot and sometimes two, uh, depending, that were never meant to be aired in the US. And on Disney uh, on Disney Plus now, you get both. So you get the full unedited um, UK cut. And before... For, for, for oh, most sorry. of them. For most of the episodes, again, yeah. due to music licensing. Uh, yeah, there are some that are still edited for yeah. that reason, unfortunately. And there are some episodes that we just don't have at all because they couldn't get the rights to put up the full episode yet. Um, hopefully they'll fill out the catalog. But yeah, so one of the few that um, ever got a full release in the U.S. was the Star Wars episode because it was so popular. Um, so they they had put it all back together. Um, but most of the episodes, the U.S. audience never got to see the full one unless you got very specific, like, you know, VHS copies or something. The Time Life VHS is back in the day. Yeah. Even the, the, the DVD releases, I believe, didn't have all of the sketches on it. When they released the, the first three seasons and they unfortunately never released the final two. Instead, deciding to just release what they could on, on Disney+. Plus. 
yeah, I have never known a world without Muppets in in my brain. <laughs> and, and and you know, this show was filmed in in the UK. That was kind of how the show would exist. You know, uh, Jim tried to sell it to every major US network, and he was and it wasn't that he was. I mean, yeah, the Muppets were popular. You know, Sam and Friends was really popular. In, in his area, and then the Muppets be getting nationwide uh, attention through the late night talk shows that were filming in New York, the disastrous short term run they had on SNL. Yeah, yeah. The the less said about that, the better in some ways. But it it is a fascinating bit of Muppet history, of course. Um, the you know the they were big hits on you know of course the Jimmy Dean show and lots of other talk shows loved having the muppets on cuz they were good to fill a quick slot you know and now here is a quick sketch by the muppets but the idea that people would sit down and watch an entire variety show with the Muppets, I don't think really a lot of people at the time, at least a lot of network heads at the time, would have really gone for it. And I think that, you know bless British sense of humor at the time because I think Muppets were more where they were at. <laughs> the, the idea of the show and, you know, we'll talk about it more when whenever we get around to talking about the ABC's Muppets show. Mm-hmm. But in the 70s, every network had some kind of variety show you know it's the Sonny and Cher variety show and it's the Brady Bunch variety show and it's the the, Star Wars holiday special yes the Star Wars holiday special and it's the you know everything and everybody had a variety show even if it was just a whether it made sense or not (laughs) yeah and so That was kind of what they were riffing on at the time was that there were all these really weird variety hours that were kind of a throwback to vaudeville in a weird way. And so when people were like, why isn't the new... ABC Muppets show just doing the Muppet show. It's like, because that's not, we don't have the variety shows anymore. You know, like that doesn't, that doesn't play to kids because that's not what's on. We have the office. I mean, when, when, when 
Jim tried to do something new but bring back the 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 style of the Muppet Show. He did it with the Jim Henson Hour, Muppet Television, which was the Muppet Show, but now they're running their own TV network and there's a celebrity guest star. Then we get Muppets Tonight, which is their own late night show with a guest star. And then, like you said, the, the Muppets ABC show, which was just, here's a celebrity guest. And now it's a parody of The Office. And then there was Muppets Now, which is them running their own streaming service with a celebrity guest. So it was the, Muppet, the Muppets taking the core formula of the Muppet show and adapting it to what's modern. And the hardcore Muppet fan just refuses to accept that because they want the OG Muppet show, which as I'm, much as I'm, as much as I'm that, not sure you're right on that when you say the hardcore Muppet fan didn't because every hardcore Muppet fan I know absolutely loved every one of those shows. The people who don't like those shows are the people who are like, well, I like the Muppets, but I haven't really watched the Muppets since I was six. I think the hardcore Muppet fans, you know, mm -hmm. like the sort of people who will be joining us today, uh, <laughs> like us, you know, I think we were all like, yeah, I'm totally down for it. Does it have Muppets in it? Yeah, I'm there. I get where you're going for this because the people who made the show, who we also talk about when we talk about these sorts of things, they understand. They got Jim's vibe. We get Jim's vibe. We're just kind of like, yeah, we see where you're going with this. And we think that this is kind of, you know, somewhere in that same vein. But I think the other people who are just like, Muppets were what I watched when I was little. Make me feel like when I was little. Kind of don't get that Muppets were always cutting edge and doing whatever the new breaking thing was. And even then, even if they were to bring back the Muppet show as it was today, those same people who you said, you know, do not want, you know, they who remember the Muppets when they were kids are not really going to accept the celebrity guest stars because there was always contemporary celebrity guest stars. Like the guest stars in the seven, in the, in the original Muppet show. Well, a lot of them were the older generation, your Gene Kelly's, your George Burns, but a lot of them were contemporary artists your Helen Reddy's, your, you know. I mean, they your, had Alice Cooper on The Muppet Show. Sylvester Stallone. If I were to tell Elton you. John. Yeah. You know, it's like. Christopher Reeve, Linda Carter. These were the stars of the 70s. Even the 90s Muppets Tonight had Prince on. So if you were to make a Muppet show style show in 2023, you're going to get the celebrities of 2023. 
I remember when they announced that the Muppets were going to do a Christmas variety show with Lady Gaga and everyone lost their poop. What does Lady Gaga have to do with the Muppets? She's a modern celebrity and that's what the Muppets do. Yeah, I mean, the the Muppets were always working with, you know, whatever the brand new thing was. Miss Piggy has been on RuPaul's Drag Race. And yes, Jim Henson would have been thrilled about that. Don't be like, Jim Henson would be rolling in his grave. First of all, Jim Henson was cremated. Shut up. But second of all, Jim Henson worked with like all kinds of people with all kinds of sexualities who were out and proud and Jim knew it and supported them. So really shut up. And Jim Henson absolutely would have been like, yeah, let's go put Miss Piggy on Drag Race. That sounds amazing. Kermit the Frog <laughs> was on The Masked Singer. Big Bird was on Lip Sync Battle. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna, it, it's all of this stuff is exactly in what the Muppets would have done with Jim Henson's blessing, and I feel absolutely sure in saying that. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's it's fine. If Jim was still running the Muppets at, like, 90-whatever he would be today, then he would he would be like, yeah, that all sounds cool. Are people watching that show? Sure. Sounds great. <laughs> Put a Muppet on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't I don't know. The the thing is is that the Muppets always had an edge to them and the Muppets were clean, but they were clean in a sense of they were free of human vices. You know? They didn't have hatred they didn't have like malice. They could be mischievous, you know, they'd get up to a little fun trouble, but they weren't mean and that kind of thing. So, as long as whatever they were doing was just silly and happy, but also kind of had a satirical bite to it I I think Jim was kind of fine with that like is the purpose of this to spread joy or teach people how to be better people then I think Jim would have been down for it Mm. that banana boat's a wonderful number yeah and look what they did to it (laughs) I have a good mind to go home you had a good mind you wouldn't be here in the first place <laughs> we are talking about our own favorite episodes of the Muppet Show. Uh, we'll go with myself first, and we are going to be talking about one of—I I would say one of—it's hard to pick just one. Hard, one of my favorite episodes of the Muppet Show, featuring the late great Harry Belafonte, and I know that. This is a lot of people's favorite episodes of The Muppet Show. Even uh, it is considered 
possibly Jim's favorite episode of the Muppet Show. I know Jim has said that it is his his greatest achievement in cre- in doing the Muppet Show. So much so that when he passed, uh, Harry Belafonte actually performed uh, a song he does in this episode, Turn the World Around, at his funeral. Even creating the the African mask Muppets simply, specifically for this episode, and they never used it anywhere else. Well, yeah, there was one, there was one use of, like, two of the African masks, because I'd always heard that they had never been used again, and I did a little bit of research, and I found out that apparently two of the puppets were reused, but the reason why most fans think they were never reused was because it was for one of those um, UK spots Ah. that I talked about. So most of the American fans and most of the American edits and stuff never saw that one thing, but they did a short um, bit that was used in the UK where they only used two of the puppets and they did, you know, some little uh, instrumental bit or something um, that I've, I've never personally seen. Um, but as far as all four of them together, they were never used again. And they've only been used in those two bits collectively, you know. Um, mm-hmm. They never took them out and used them individually for anything else or repurposed them for anything else. Um but according to Harry Belafonte, that was one of the most extensive um, projects for the Muppet Show that they worked on because they really did um, a lot of research on actual African art and African masks. Um, and then Jim had to pass off on the designs for the final ones and know where they had come from because he wanted to make sure that none of the four of them were disrespectful in any way or taken directly from anything that had any particular religious significance or tribal significance to any specific group. So he wanted to make sure that each of the four were a specifically unique Muppet that was not copied from anywhere else so that, you know, some tribe would see it someday and be like they just copied you know our religious whatever um so he wanted people to see it and be like oh they did their research but not oh they they copied this and they're using it in a misappropriative way which i i really i really appreciate that that he took the time because it's a 
goofy puppet show, you know, that they did not have that much production time on. But I like that he did the work there. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that, that that Jim put in the the work and was respectful to the African culture and and uh, you know like you said earlier he Jim worked with a lot of people from a lot of different cultures and backgrounds and he was respectful to as many as he could. But uh, even if you take the Harry Belafonte part out of this, and you shouldn't because it's a good his his musical skits are good. But the the opening with Fozzie and Kermit kind of became a viral video a few years ago. Just that clip of, you know, welcome to the Mupple Shocks. Oh, so my typing's bad. Yeah. As Fozzie decides he's going to be the new writer of the show. The, the thing is, is that I love that the punchline of this is not that Fozzie's typing is bad, but that Fozzie thinks that typos are a joke. That if Kermit had just read it straight as it was typed, that it would have gotten a laugh. Because Fozzie's complaint at the end of the the bit is maybe your timing is off. That should have gotten a huge laugh. Yeah, but it and, and and it runs through the entire episode of of Fozzie trying to be a writer and 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 Kermit saying, "Well, we technically don't have a script in the show anyway. We just wing it all the time. We should just do what we always do and it always works." Yeah, and you know, Fozzie says quite rightfully, every show should have a writer. And as you can tell from listening to our show, Fozzie is exactly right. Also, pay your writers. We are still recording this during a writer's strike and an actor's strike. Have writers and pay them. One of my favorite things that 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 I noticed, and obviously there there was no way to not to not there probably was a way to not do this but they did it anyway, is that you can kind of still see the tape on Kermit's hand as he's introducing Harry Belafonte after after getting rid of the script. Yeah, it, it doesn't completely come off the, the, the hands for Kermit. Also, you can, in fact, buy a Kermit the Forg t-shirt. And that's actually a, a joke from Sesame Street. Yeah. So, yeah. But the um, I, I like that it works for both. Yeah. Because there there are all of those, that bit from Sesame Street, uh, they have made t-shirts out of all of those. Um, but I like to, I, I, I want one so I can tell people it's from the Harry Belafonte episode and see if they're real Muppet Show fans. Um. There's a bit here, you know, during the opening with the Banana Boat song where uh, Harry Belafonte says that it's the first time he's ever sung the sh- sung that song on television. I don't know if it's true or not, because he's been singing that song for years prior to, to The Muppet Show. But, 
Well, the thing, the thing is, is that he did not really do a lot of TV appearances. And when he did, they were mostly kind of interviews and and stuff. He was not a guy that did stuff like this. Which was why the Muppet Show appearance was such a big deal. Um, and he said himself that the only reason he really did the the Muppet Show was... Because he really, really, really respected Jim Henson's work and creativity and the fact that, you know, all the things that we say we admire about Jim Henson, that he he was constantly on the right side of things and trying to use his art to inspire and to make people happy and stuff because Harry Belafonte was an incredibly politically active guy and he did not want to be caught up with anything that he would think would, you know, look badly on him or his activism. Even at, at Henson's funeral, he praised Henson not just as a artist, but as a humanitarian. Yeah. So it was, it was why he was so selective with what he, what he did. So interestingly, I could believe that this was possibly the first rendition of that on TV. And he didn't really want to do it. Um, but Henson talked him into it because he said look you know you're coming on as Harry Belafonte and people are going to want to hear some of the big hits <laughs> like, very, sim- very similar to the Elton John episode where at that point in his career Elton John was kind of getting sick of the flashy costumes and he was already in the middle of his his drug addictions and he just wanted to get done with it. But Jim was able to convince him, Hey, we're getting Elton John on the show. We want Elton John on the show. And he was able to, to convince, uh, convince him to put on the flashy costumes for a few, a few, for a few bits. So uh, Jim was a very convincing person, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible that he could, talk so many people in the early days into working with the Muppets like now I think most people would fall over themselves to be on screen with a Muppet but um, in the early days I think it was more of like a you know why would you do that yeah I mean especially during that first season a lot of people were were like why would you want to work with a bunch of people with socks on their hands and after that first season every celebrity wanted to be on the Muppet show yeah but I think Harry Belavante also just wanted to be like you know I because the Muppets are kind of a anything format I think he wanted to use it to introduce families and children to like 
more international music and African music specifically. And that's why the the turn the world around and that story is there. Mm-hmm. And even with the banana boat song, it was a hit, but you notice he puts like an educational bit because Fozzie doesn't understand the banana boat song. What the tally man. Yeah, like what what is the song about and what what's the meaning of the song? And honestly, as a kid, that's kind of how I learned the song and what it meant and what it was about and and I love the part with the little tarantula puppet and then the parrot being like I'm I'm not going to work with a deadly tarantula. No, 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 that's not my contract. <laughs> a joke that kind of would get repeated in Stan Freeberg's cover. No, yeah. man, I don't like spiders, man. I don't dig <laughs> spiders. Yeah. But, and granted, this is not the last time this would happen, but the drum battle with Animal. Which was apparently a thing Harry Belafonte asked for, because he liked playing the drums and he loved Animal as a Muppet. And we would talk a. Uh, uh, one of our last Muppet episodes, you talked about how on the on the ABC Muppet Show we had the Dave Grohl versus Animal drum battle, and we got this, and it's like that they're both great. Yeah, but, I mean, because who doesn't love Animal and who doesn't love a good drum battle? You know? Yeah, I mean, I I, I do like how 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 Harry kind of just plays along, plays it, does a very faint drum just to see how. Just to see if Animal can do a light drum tap, and they and they you know like like most drum battles with Animal and ends up into a jam session as it should because Animal is awesome. <laughs> it's just an amazing bit. Again, words cannot describe it, but yeah. My my favorite is there's a moment where Animal gets so lost in it he does an actual three sixty inside the drum kit, which I love. <laughs> And of course, the the punchline is that they just banging the drums so much that they just both collapse at the end of the at the end of the of the sketch. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And like I, and of course, we get one one of my personal favorites, which is they um they have the joke about going back to Fozzie's script writing, where you get uh. Fozzie's script just being curtain opens uh, New Zealand and Rolf do do something funny curtain close (laughs) go out there and do it trust me yeah but what's so funny is I discovered that one of my favorite shows did end up kind of having scripts like that because they trusted one of their actors so much that they would write really detailed lines for everybody else in the cast. But there was one actor who was there for like comedy purposes. And they started to learn that that they couldn't write anything funnier than what he would improv on the day. It was it was actually um for um Xena Warrior Princess. Ah. And so when it started, um, and they had the character of Joxer, who was played by Ted Raimi, uh, when they would bring him on, they would write, like, they would come up with these, like, really elaborate gags for him to do. 
but he would always improv something funnier than the writers had come up with. So eventually they just stopped bothering and he said he would get the scripts and it would be like, Xena says this speech and it would be like really detailed and everything. Gabrielle responds with another detailed thing and then it would be Joxer and then it would just say, Ted, come up with something funny here. And then it would go back to like really elaborate stuff and it would go, Joxer, Ted, we trust you, do something funny. Like... (laughs) And that's just what his script said. And he's like, he, he's like, I would just have to like sit on the plane to New Zealand and write something funny. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, uh, if you have a good enough actor, you can uh, do that as a writer and still uh, call it a script. How about and, that? And 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 Lou and Ralph's funny is singing T for two backwards, which is a hilarious bit, and I always loved that as a kid. Yep. And eat, uh rough oot. Yes. <laughs> oot rough eat. <laughs> it's a good bit. It's a good bit. Oh. Foo. But of course the the showstopper is that that uh turn the world around with the African masks and it's such a showstopper that it literally ends the show there is no muppet uh there's no Muppet Show. This is one There's, of the few one of the few episodes that does not end with the Muppet Show theme song. Yeah, all of the Muppets, including Statler and Waldorf, join in. They do not heckle. They just join in the song. Everybody dances, even uh Zoot and Gonzo, who normally play during the end credits theme. They just play their instruments and they are joined into the song. So you hear the saxophone and the trumpet that you would normally hear during the the end credits theme are now playing with the song. And so it's it's amazing. I I love it as an ending. Yeah. I mean Gonzo actually gets to play the right note on the trumpet. Yeah. With, that is the gag in the intro that he always plays the wrong note or something bad happens. <laughs> That's but the nothing poly- bad happens. It's just everybody is just jamming and it's great. Yeah. And you know something has to be really good for for Statler and Waldorf to not have any any uh any uh anything bad to say about it. Well that's the message of the song. Yeah. You know? Like, we're all connected to each other, and once we understand each other and we all start vibing together, that's what makes the world a better place. More people need to understand that. And that's, like, the the entire theater, all the Muppets, the audience, the hecklers, the, you know, everybody's just feeling the same vibe and they're all dancing and everybody's happy yeah yeah and, and it's so it's good i and love like, it it is it that episode is so good it's like i can understand why this is on pretty much everyone's top 10 muppet show list i can understand why this was such a favorite of jim and that's why i picked it because it's so so good it's it's almost a perfect Muppet Show episode. 
you know, I mean, there's a few gas, there's a few skets that, 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 that the, the, the blindfold race kind of doesn't hit as hard as I thought, I think they were trying to make it work. If, if I had to say a low point of the, of, of the episode, that would be it. The, the, the blindfold race. Yeah. The Muppet sports sketch doesn't do, and the, the, um, the punchline to the pigs in space is just that the Muppets have switched voices. I wonder if they switched puppeteers. I mean, they would they would have to to get the lip sync right. But honestly, it's you know, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. So that is. That, I mean, that. it's a good gag when you see it once, but yeah. Yeah. But everything else in the episode holds up for for multiple viewings. Honestly, you could just watch the Harry Belafonte bits over and over again, and it, it doesn't get t- it doesn't get old. I think this is the first time I had ever seen the UK spot for this episode. Honestly, yeah. The UK what? the UK spot is Floyd and Zoot. If you don't know the name of the song, the joke doesn't work. The The name of the song is Honeysuckle Rose, which explains why there's a bee there trying to get into the saxophone. Because he's looking for nectar because it's a honeysuckle rose. Yeah. I mean, it's it's cute. Even if you don't know the name of the song, it's just, you know, there's... There's a wind instrument. There's a bee trying to get into the wind instrument. The you inhale the the bee. Haha, <laughs> cute. You think there's life in outer space? There's certainly none in this theater. <laughs> <laughs> so Kiki, let's move on to the episode that you chose, which was the stars of Star Wars, or as it's listed on Disney Plus. Star Wars slash Mark Hamill. Yeah, unlike you, uh, I can tell you my favoriteest episode of all time, and it is this one. It is this one by a country mile. Um, I mean, who doesn't want to know, who doesn't want the greatness, the amazingness of Angus McGonagall who gargles Gershwin? Yeah, the funny thing about that is that I I can do that and I can do the the counterpoint that Mark Hamill does in the the one bit. <laughs> um like as a kid when I was brushing my teeth and stuff, I would always do that. <laughs> like I was a weird kid, I'm a weird adult, it's fine. Um but yeah, I mean, Angus McGonagall, if you if you ever ask me, like, you know, who's your favorite Muppet that's not in the main line? It's Angus McGonagall, the Gargoyle, Cargoyle, who gargles Gershwin gorgeously. <laughs> um, but seriously, every single thing in this episode is my favorite something. Um, my favorite D&D character that I ever played... Her name was Ramalama Ding Dong because I love the Ramalama Ding Dong sketch. 
Um, and so I named her after that song because that's how I learned that song when I was a kid. Um, and everything. I love Scooter playing six string orchestra in his bedroom. I had had forgotten about that sketch and it's so good. And I love that Scooter has a Star Destroyer picture hung upside down on his bedroom wall. (laughs) I don't know why it's upside down. I also don't know why Scooter has pennants from, like, every single university. But he does. He has one from, like, Harvard, one from Yale, one from Columbia. One for, it's like, pick a school and be that school. <laughs> Scooter, like, why do you have, like, every school? Um, but when they were decorating Scooter's bedroom he they went all out and i love it um but the um i i love every single joke in this i love that this is the first time the the world got to see luke in his bespin outfit yeah the empire strikes back outfit and the movie hadn't come out yet yeah, this was filmed between them filming the movie and the movie coming out, and it also aired before Empire came out. So, um, this, you know, this would have been the first time that people would have seen that. And, of course, it leads to the running gag of, like, Luke's not just wearing that, like, kind of formless white farm boy outfit anymore he's got this like really slick tailored outfit which leads to that your tailor (laughs) yeah that running joke of i love your outfit who's your tailor because this is so much different than that white new hope outfit that everybody was used to to seeing luke skywalker wear and of course it came up with the joke that made me know for years whether or not somebody and I could be friends, which was no, no, no. Mark Hamill doesn't play Luke Skywalker. Mark Hamill and Luke Skywalker are cousins. And if you got that joke for years, that was like the thing that told me whether or not we could be friends. Like, if you knew where that joke came from, we were okay. Um, But because that was apparently put in the show, though, because Mark Hamill was terrified of being typecast. Because he wasn't getting offers for other work other than, do you want to do more Star Wars? Or characters that were like Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And so um, he wanted to, to be... Uh, the other joke that I love is that the the bit about when Kermit asks him, like, asks Mark, like, what what does he do? Like, does he have any talent? Like, an impression. Yay! Yeah, and Mark does, like, the most amazing Kermit impression, and then he follows, and, and, and then Kermit goes, that's great, who do you do? And then he does a really good Fozzie impression, and Fozzie goes, yeah, who do you do? And again, right after he worked with Frank Oz as Yoda. 
But the funny thing is, is apparently the reason that that joke is in the the show is that when Mark was talking to Jim Henson about possibly being on the show, Jim Henson did what he always did every time they had a guest star, which was ask them if there were any like other talents or whatever that they wanted to showcase. And all oh, because some people would be like, well, you know, I'm known for singing, but I can also ride a unicycle. You know, it's like it never really comes up in my professional life, but you know. Hmm. Um, and so if they ever had a guest star that was like that, they'd just write it into the show because, you know, if you find out that it's like we have a great opera singer, but they can also ride a unicycle, that's that's a very muppety thing to put in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. And so Jim would always ask people that. So he asked Mark that, and Mark answered in the Muppet, in the Kermit voice, right? <laughs> and Jim looked at him deadpan and went, Oh, awesome. Who do you do? And Mark swears to this day that Jim was not like being snarky. Jim just did not understand he was doing a Kermit impression because apparently when he did it on the day, it wasn't very good or something. (laughs) And Jim just didn't hear it coming back at him. Or Jimmy just could be just used to the voice be, you know. Yeah. I mean, it it, it might just be like, that's my own voice coming back at me. So, But yeah, uh, and so maybe that's why he added the yay at the end of it, so like everybody would know he was supposed to be Kermit. I don't know, maybe he wasn't like very, very keen on the impression after that. Um, but yeah, so uh, apparently that's why it was in the, the show was because like apparently Mark had to go like, that, that was that was my Kermit impression, Mr. Henson. <laughs> um, so that whole bit about Mark Hamill trying to show off his various talents and being like, you know, I can be a comedian, and Fozzie being like, no, no, you can't, <laughs> like, and then being like, I can gargle Gershwin. Uh, <laughs> well, you get out of here. <laughs> yeah, but my favorite thing is that when they finally go out and gargle Gershwin, and then it's just Kermit and Animal standing on the side, and he goes, "Animal, Animal, sick him, sick him, get him." <laughs> Which is one of the few times we actually see Animal being used as like a guard dog kind of thing. That even even Kermit has his limits on what he'll ha- what he'll allow on his stage, and and of course then we've got the joke about Miss Piggy deciding that she could be Leia because Luke Skywalker is one of the heavenly bodies. <laughs> Keep in mind that Empire Strikes Back has not come out yet. Much less Return of the Jedi. So we don't know that yet. What's so funny is this actually kind of does the thing of like, we're about to find out who Darth Vader is. 
Which also was a thing like nobody even knew was like a a reveal. No one knew that was even a question. Yeah, nobody even knew to question who is Darth Vader because what do you mean who is Darth Vader? He's just generic bad guy, like, you know. Um, But they do the thing of like, who is this Darth Nader? And then it's the Gonzo turning around and you can see it's like the helmet is formed around his nose, which I always thought was a great joke. Yeah. No one will ever know. Yeah. But I love Miss Piggy coming out to to Luke and him being like, you know, you don't look like the princess. I don't like the fat jokes, but there you go. It was the 70s. Especially especially coming out later of Carrie Fisher's own issues with her weight during the filming of the three films. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, this didn't particularly help during that time. Um but the uh but anyway, you know, they could have just been like, you know, you don't look like the princess. You don't look like the princess or you don't sound like the princess or you don't, you know, you're obviously made of felt, you know. Um but anyway, uh and of course Miss Piggy being like Go along with that Skywalker, or I'll cut you in half, which I always liked. Um, but then oh, I, <laughs> but then I, I like that they have uh, Chewbacca trapped on Coosbane, which led to one of the funniest things, because of course now Muppets and Star Wars are all under the same corporate behemoth overlord but at the time nothing was under the same corporate overlord including the song that they're going to sing and we'll get to it in a second but because people at the time were trying to be like well what is canon in the star wars universe there was for a very long time the desperation of trying to make this in certain parts of the fandom a canonical Star Wars appearance and there were a lot of fans that would fight you that this was a canonical Star Wars appearance I was never really one of them but it was a rather contentious thing in Star Wars fandom for a while and it became such an in-joke in Star Wars fandom of whether or not this was the real Luke Skywalker showing up that the planet Coosbane actually showed up in some official Star Wars galaxy maps for a while <laughs> as a sort of Easter egg. So if you have some of the older pre-corporate takeover, you know, uh, pre-prequel even, galaxy maps that were put out by Lucasfilm, some of them have the planet Coosbane as an Easter egg. So if you can find some of the older ones or scans of them, look around for the planet Coosbane and you may see it as a uh, an Easter egg to The Muppet Show because Coos- of this episode. And Coosbane itself was a long-running gag in The Muppet Show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It was their generic, we need a planet. We need an alien planet. We need some aliens. And I think the Kuzbane actually jumped over to Sesame Street for a bit. Because yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I believe Coos Bane was the original home world of the Yip Yips. Yip, 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 yip. Oh, yeah. I think uh-huh. pretty much every um, species of alien comes from Coos Bane in the world of the Muppets. Maybe mm-hmm. not, but I think that basically pretty, pretty much all of them mm-hmm. do. Um. But yeah, um, so anyway, uh, apparently, uh, just, just so you know, apparently, uh, in those, in those Easter egg, uh, bits about Coosbane and Star Wars, apparently the planet Coosbane is along the Kessel Run. (laughs) <laughs> so, if you want to know the the whereabouts in the galaxy to look for it when you're looking through old Star Wars stuff, look along the general Kessel Run uh, route. But um, once once Luke finds Chewbacca on the the planet Coosbane after searching for him, which is the whole reason he came to the Muppet show. Anyway, we kind of forgot to say that because honestly, it's not really important why they're there. Um, it's just a MacGuffin to get them on there. They sing, you are my lucky star, which is another reason why I love this because that is a song featured in singing in the rain, which of course, if you're a classic Hollywood fan, you will know is the movie that introduced the world to Carrie Fisher's mother. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) just another little wink and a nod, you know, Debbie Reynolds, you know, getting in there, getting her little, her little shout out. Um, it wasn't the the movie the song originated in, but it is the the movie that made it famous. Anyway, which is really um, weird because that's a Gene Kelly movie, and C three PO addresses it as a Fred Astaire film. Well, no, he said some. Uh, he said uh, that he's glad he watched some Fred Astaire films before uh, to inspire his dance number. Funny story about that dance number. Which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this. They, Kermit says, now we we have... He says he's going to get them all out of this with a song and dance number. They sing the song and he says, now for the dance. Well, the dance number is something rather interesting. Because they bring out Chewbacca and R2-D2 at first. And they are uh, Peter Mayhew and Kenny Baker. Even though Kenny Baker is not, not credited, credited. Uh, as R2-D2 as himself, which is basically how they did not credit Kenny Baker for most of those early years. It just said R2-D2 as himself, and Kenny Baker did not really get any credit, which is kind of annoying. And R2-D2 as R2-D2. Yeah. Um, but... I got the chance to talk to Anthony Daniels about this episode. I met Anthony Daniels at a convention and I got to just sit down and talk with him during a break 
at one point in his signing schedule. He was very, very sweet and very, very nice to me. And he is a very wonderful man. Um, and I told him, I was like, you were in one of my favorite things ever. And he was like, yes, yes, everybody loves Star Wars and I love C-3PO too. And he wasn't like, you know, being like flippant about it. He really has a love of C-3PO. Um, and I was like, well, yes, but I specifically mean the Muppet show because I am a huge fan of the Muppets and being able to work with the Muppets would be like a dream come true for me. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, that was incredible. And he was like, but that was one of the most tiring days of filming I've ever had. Which you think about all the stuff he did in Star Wars and you're like that. But that was really him in the suit. And that was really him tap dancing. And that suit is not very mobile. And that suit is not very light either. I mean, I think over the years they've they've lightened the materials in the suit so that people who are in the suit now, you know. But that original suit, and that was the original 3PO suit. That was not lightened in any way. There were no effects on that. That was Anthony Daniels in that full you know, 75, 80 pounds of metal or whatever that is on that suit. And yes, that is, most of that suit is made of metal. And that was him doing that tap dance. So Very all of those moves you see him do is him. And I know you're like, well, it's not exactly like he's, you know, out there being Fred Astaire. But put Fred Astaire in that much metal under studio lights. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you could see, you could actually see the studio lights reflecting off the suit. Oh yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> you have to, you have to light all that stuff in a certain way, you know, for the puppetry to work correctly, so that they're still using those same lights. Um, but the thing is, is that he said he had to do that routine because of some mess up or another so many times. He said, I lost count of how many times I had to do that routine um, because there are puppets in the background and stuff and various things going on. Um, so a lot of times he would nail it, but something in the background would go wrong or whatever. And they'd be like, Hey, Tony, can we do it again? You know? So he was like, I loved doing that episode. He said, but that dance sequence was one of the most grueling days I've ever had playing C-3PO and you wouldn't expect it. But he said that was, that was one of the hardest things he had ever done as C-3PO. Mm. So when you watch that Muppet show, Put respect on Anthony Daniels' name, because that is a man doing his craft right there. Um, yeah, I can't. I cannot imagine being able to do that at ever. Um, and there, there he is, just giving it his all and absolutely nailing it. And it was one of the most fascinating things to sit and listen to him talking about the process of filming that episode 
And I'm so glad that I got that experience, but it makes me love this episode even more. And it couldn't be it couldn't have been easy for Peter Mayhew either. Well, yeah, I mean, and there's a reason why. I mean, Peter Mayhew was never a dancer, and he was already starting to have problems with his knees and his hips and stuff. So that's why Chewbacca just kind of stands there and sways back and forth and does like one turn or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently they had to do their part over and over again because like, you know, they'd be like, you know, R2, go spin to the left or something. And Kenny would hit the wrong button and spin to the right or something. You know, I was like, uh, no, do it again. You know, so apparently that day was exhausting for kind of all three of them to to get that dance number correct so you know i'm not i'm not trying to discount what the other two had to go through because none of those suits were easy for any of those guys but when when i realized that they that was the full suit and they had not made any accommodations for and now you've got a tap dance in it i man i i don't think i've I've had so much respect for a dude. <laughs> but yeah. And then and of course we get to the thing that everybody talks about, which is the when you wish upon a star, which everybody calls the predictive <laughs> Muppets predict the future. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, as we said, the they had not they had not bought out any of these properties yet, so the Muppets had to get permission to use the what was then even Disney's big theme song. And they're singing, so that, yeah, it's the cast of Star Wars and the cast of the Muppets singing a Disney song in front of a castle. That looks enough like it to let you know that's what they're meaning. I mean, it could be Darth Vader's castle for all we know. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's a certain castle with the serial numbers filed off. With shooting stars over it. Yeah. We don't see any little green and blonde fairies you know like (laughs) but you know that's what they're meaning yeah i mean i'm surprised they let them do this because um i mean it's not even the first time the muppets have done a disney song on their show uh, Never Smile with a Crocodile from Peter Pan was used in an earlier episode, so it's it's not it's not the first time. Well, no, but Disney was very protective of When You Wish Upon a Star. They did not want other people singing it, even then. And one of the reasons I know this is because, you know, when Spielberg wanted to use it in... Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was made just a couple of years before this, he had so much trouble with the Disney company trying to get the rights to have just like a couple of seconds inserted into John Williams' score. As, you know, just a little motif in the background. 
Mm. And Disney really fought on that because they were like, no, that's basically our corporate theme song. And we don't want anybody using it. So, you know, the the fact that that uh, Disney played ball on this really let you know how much they were hoping to grease the deal to buy the Muppets at this because this was like 1980 mm-hmm. and they had already started talks with Jim Henson at this point. I mean, Eisner wasn't even there yet. And Eisner was the real guy who was pushing for the Muppets. I mean, Eisner was also pushing for for Star Wars to, to get uh, Star Tours in the parks. Yeah, but I mean, some somebody, somebody there already kind of had to have an idea i think because that song at that time was something that the company did not want other people using Mm. so you know they either had to use up a good chunk chunk of the season budget or somebody at the corporation had to you know maybe want a favor or something I don't, I don't know but i'm still kind of impressed to this day that they allowed that to be used because of how protective they were of the song at the time i mean this was like but the ron miller era so maybe miller really wanted them up it's i don't know i don't know but it and and it does end with a cute little like kermit thinking that uh that luke has been pretending to be Mark Hamill the entire time, but no, we get the reveal that they are actually two different people and they can be on screen at the same time, thanks to some janky green screen. <laughs> I mean, this wouldn't be the the last time that they would pull this off because they would do, uh, I believe, if, uh, about a year later, they would do Roger Moore. Yeah. And and hit and uh, believing he's 007. So the idea of a actor and a character being together or something like that. Yeah, but I just there is there is not a single moment of this episode that is not one of my favorite Muppet moments ever. Even the yeah. UK spot, which did get, like I said, this is one of the few ones that was ever aired in full on US TV. So, three little fishes. Three boop, little boop. fishies. Classic, classic little kid song. I remember it. At least it was a kid song when I was growing up for me. Yep. But I, everything, everything about this episode, love it. That is all we can talk about for the Star Wars episode. Uh, after this little bit, we'll be back with our first guest. Well, should we stay or go? I feel the same as I do every week. I've paid good money for this ticket, and I'm going to use it. <laughs> uh, the tickets are free. Oh, yes. Uh, well, and overpriced at that, too. <laughs> and we are here with our first guest of the episode, Luke Ski, our good friend Luke Ski. Hey, how you guys doing? Luke, uh, we both know, we all know how big of a Muppet fan you are. But before we get into that, 
uh, you're going to be a part of a, of an event called Funk Fest in a few weeks. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners about that? Uh, sure. For those of you who don't know what the FUMP is, uh, that stands for the Funny Music Project, which is a website that we've been uh, doing since 2007, myself and a ton of other acts from the Dr. Demento show. Um, so thefump.com is that website. And uh, back in 2014, we decided to start our own uh, convention event called FUMP Fest, which we did uh, every year except for <laughs> uh, except for uh, the you know COVID year. And then uh, we ended up skipping last year just due to financial reasons um, because it costs a lot of money to put on an event like that. Um, so what uh, Debo Spice ended up deciding to do was he uh, was just talking with the people at the convention Con on the Cob out in Ohio. And they said, hey, why don't you have Fump Fest as a part of Con on the Cob? So that way a lot of the costs involved with making Fump Fest happen could be, you know, deferred because they're teaming up. So. Uh, it's it's two great tastes that taste great together, uh, you know, kind of like the MarsCon comedy music track and MarsCon. So it's uh, it's Fump Fest as a part of Con and the Cobb, and it is coming up uh, October 5th through 8th uh, in Richfield, Ohio. Uh, so go to FumpFest.com or ConandTheCobb.com to get details. If you're going to register ahead of time, be sure to click the registration thing that includes, that says like, hey, I'm here as a part of, because uh, I want to see Fump Fest. Uh, because that gets us a cut of the uh, badge money so that we have a budget to work with. Um, but as far as what we're doing there, uh, we got a lot of great comedy music people showing up, including uh, myself, the great Luke Ski, as well as Bonnie Gordon, Worm Quartet, Insane Ian, Steve Goody, uh, Toby Danger, Ross Childs, and Jeff Whitmire. Uh, and our music guest of honor is going to be the legendary Dr. Demento show group, Ogden Edsel. They did the song Dead Puppies, which basically goes back and forth with Fish Heads as the most requested song of all time on the Dr. Demento show, uh, as well as other songs like uh, Daddy's Money, Kinko the Clown, tons of other stuff. Just an amazing group, and we're, we're going to have uh, two of the members of the group out there with us, and they're going to perform, and it's going to be amazing. So it's if you're an old-school Demento fan, you're not going to want to miss it, and if you're a new-school comedy music fan, then you can see a whole bunch of acts that are performing comedy music now, like right now, not in the 70s, now. Um, <laughs> uh, we're also going to have the Logan Whitehurst Memorial Awards for Excellence in Comedy Music there. I was one of the jurors this year. Uh, and, um, yeah, our uh, we're going to have the Dumb Parody Ideas Contest. There's going to be uh, there's a music video contest that you can enter. Uh, the last convention, we only had one entry. <laughs> And we typically give out three prizes. So, you know, make a video and you could probably win a prize, probably. Um, and, uh, yeah, the uh, I should mention that the um, the, the, the chair of Fump Fest is uh, Depot Spice. Uh, so he will be there as well. And I'm sure a lot of other people will be showing up from the Fump who don't have their own specific concerts. For example, uh, uh, Kyle and Lindsay, uh, TV's Kyle, is going to be there. I know um, uh, Carrie Dalby's planning on being there. Um, so, yeah, it should be a... Awesome time. So please go check that out. Uh, once again, fumpfest.com and conandthecob.com for details. Um, and yeah, uh, that's uh, that's the main plug we want to get at the beginning of the show. Um, what next, Mr. Tuesday? Uh, yeah, so since we are talking about the Muppet Show, and I know that you're a big Muppet fan, uh, what was your first exposure to specifically the Muppet Show? So... Um, I am older than most of the people in my, uh, you know, uh, greater bubble of, um, well, okay, I'm not the oldest, but 
I'm old enough. <laughs> my, my, my friend group tends to be Gen Xers and millennials. Uh, you know, so, um, I'm at the age where, you know, when, when the Muppet show premiered in, uh, in April of 1977, I believe I was three years old. So I'm sure I was watching Sesame street by then. And I'm sure my mom, you know, had started having me watch the Muppet show, but I don't have a specific memory of like me starting to watch the Muppet show. I guess to me, it was just always there, always a thing. So, uh, the Steve Martin episode aired, uh, weird enough on October 31st of 1977. So Halloween, apparently for some reason. Uh, so I was three and a half by then. Uh, Steve Martin had already had an album out, uh, of his, of his stand-up comedy called, uh, let's get small at that point. Uh, and then in April of 1978, he performed the song King Tut on Saturday Night Live uh, and then put out an album, uh, another uh, his second comedy album called A Wild and Crazy Guy of him doing stand-up, which also had the song King Tut on it. So by then I was about age four. Um, skipping ahead to 1979, that's when the Muppet movie came out uh, when I was about five and a half and Steve Martin made an appearance in that movie. So... I do remember, I have early memories of seeing the Muppet movie, and I know that I knew who Steve Martin was when I first saw the Muppet movie. Um, because because me growing up, you know, my, my earliest things that I was really into as far as, like, you know, pop culture, media, etc., was, uh, I don't know what order they came in, but it was uh, The Peanuts, you know, by Charles Schultz, Charlie Brown and Snoopy and all that. Uh, there was, you know, Walt Disney, you know, movies in general, uh, you know, and, you know, cartoons, shorts, features, etc. And then there was Jim Henson, which was Sesame Street and the Muppets. Um, so those were the main things I was into as a kid. And I just, I thoroughly loved it. My mom got me, you know, uh, a, you know I got a Kermit doll of, from back then when it was first new. And my grandma got me a Fozzie Bear doll. Just, you know, I was thoroughly into it. Uh, in fact, when Fraggle Rock started, that was like the main argument my mom made to my father about we should get cable TV was because there was going to be a new Jim Henson show on it. And that was the only place you could see it. So, so yeah, that's, that's how important Jim Henson and the Muppets, you know, from both Sesame Street and the Muppet Show were to me. So my main point I'm trying to make here is that I don't know exactly when it happened, but at some point my mom played for me the King Tut song by Steve Martin. Uh, like, so that would have been between ages four and five and a half. And that was the first time I heard a comedy song that was like aimed at an adult audience, not like kids, children's music from Disney or, you know, the Muppets or Sesame Street or, you know, a Peanuts special or whatever. It's like, the, you know, or, you know, an album in the Chipmunks album or something like that. It's like this was a comedy song made for grownups. And, you know, because it was about King Tut, which was, you know, a historical thing and, you know, museum exhibit and art and stuff and there's no like dirty lyrics in it or anything my mom let me listen to it because they had the wild and crazy guy album and there was just something about it that just really hooked me big time and she even let me listen to some other parts of the album you know much later on you know as i got older i you know listened to that album repeatedly to the point where i have the whole thing memorized but but basically steve martin was my first like grown-up adult legit comedy idol i loved steve martin so much and every time i you know my mom or my dad heard he was going to be on like you know the carson show or some appearance on some tv thing like they would always let me know so that i could see steve martin doing whatever steve martin was doing and you know that it was so he was like 
just this huge idol to me. So I don't know if I saw it the very first time it aired or if it was just coming around in reruns, you know, because my memory, you know, it's hard to remember what exactly happened to me when I was three and a half and four years old. But at some point, I remember my mom saying, oh, Steve Martin's on The Muppet Show. You, We, we totally, you know, we're going to get to see Steve Martin do stuff with The Muppets. Isn't that amazing? And this episode aired, you know, whenever, or whenever it was I first saw it. And I was just, I loved it so much. I, I thought it was so amazing that this comedy idol, my first ever comedy idol, is there working with Kermit and all the crew. And it just, it just you know, blew me away. Um, so this has always been one of my very favorite episodes of the Muppet show. Um, and, um, and yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of what else I should say at this point. Um, because I do want to explain for the, uh, uh, uh the younger listeners out there, at least, uh, at least a, a fraction of a bit of what Steve Martin's comedy was all about, because Steve Martin came from this, you know, he, he, he appeared on like, kind of like all these old timey, you know, comedy shows like, you know, the Smothers Brothers, you know, in the 60s or, you know, he kind of came out of, you know, trying to learn how to be an entertainer during this like post vaudeville aesthetic of like, you know, these type of acts that would appear on, you know, like whatever, Steve Allen. It's like, oh, somebody's spinning plates or somebody's, you know, being a ventriloquist or whatever. So those type of acts or whatever. Um, so, <laughs> you know, but he was also, this was also during a time when comedy was changing a lot. People like Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor and and George Carlin were starting to like change, you know, what comedy was going to be all about. And, you know, there was a counterculture thing going on. So Steve wasn't doing so much counterculture, but just kind of taking the notion of what you would expect to see when a, you go see a comedian and just kind of turning it on its head by, by both, you know, doing those old timey type of acts, but just doing, doing them in a really weird, unexpected way, or just, you know, kind of plain being strange or just kind of, you know, like kind of popping the balloon of pomposity that's, you know, around what an entertainer is supposed to be or whatever. Like on his on his albums, they'll be doing like some bits and then instead of a segue, he, like one of my favorites of all time was he just goes like, okay, enough comedy jokes. And then he goes on to the next bit. <laughs> it's like, what? nobody says that. Why are you saying that, Steve? So that's kind of, you know, always been a, a, a real hook for me. In fact, uh, uh, if, if you read his book, Born Standing Up, uh, in it, he said that at some point Rick Moranis had coined the term for the type of comedy that Steve was doing, and he called it anti-comedy. So I just thought that was a really cool, you know, it was just so cool and bizarre and fun, and he would get silly and goofy and, you know, stuff like that. So he would, you know, uh, and I'll, you know, I'll get more into that kind of thing when we talk about the episode, because a lot of the things he was doing in his you know, stand-up act, you know, for adult audiences got incorporated into the episode that uh, of The Muppet Show. Um, and uh, one final note is that uh, <laughs> he, he had a catchphrase. He was one of the first big catchphrase comedians out there, um, which uh, came from his stand-up act, but also what he did on Saturday Night Live. He did it, you know, all over the place, where the, I think the typical standard bit was when he would be in a club, he would ask for some special lighting, like, Hey, I want to bring the crowd down. Can you give me some special lighting, like a blue spotlight, something like that? And then he would keep talking, and the lighting wouldn't change because there probably was never actually a lighting person there. He was just claiming there was a lighting person there, and he'd be like, he'd start talking, be like, hello, 
spotlight? Can you change it? Can you, and then like waiting for the spotlight to change and it doesn't change. And then he would like veer off of what he was going to say and just start getting angrier. It's like, you know, I'm out here trying to do the best job I can and I can't get help from the backstage crew. And then big pause. Excuse me. You know, and so excuse me was his big catchphrase <laughs> so those of you who thought that it was link from the legend of zelda no it was steve martin who invented the phrase excuse me uh as a big catchphrase so that just became like a big like that this, one of the big hooks of what his act was was this guy pretending to have a meltdown on stage during his comedy act because he can't get the right spotlight happening or anytime anyone does something that he you know that slightly offends whatever was going on with him he just excuse me you know so anyway that's a brief history of <laughs> steve martin for all the youngins out there and yeah and the muppet show so now you guys can say things. I mean, after knowing you for as long as we have and seeing your 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 comedy style, you Steve Martin is definitely an inspiration for 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 your style of comedy. I I can definitely see that. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it was it was one of the reasons why I was so glad you wanted to talk about this episode because I was like, oh, thank goodness, because we kind of wanted to talk about this episode, but you are far more the person who knows more about Steve Martin than either of us. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I, 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 first of all, I appreciate the compliments and the comparison. I mean, yeah, he's, uh, 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 it's, <laughs> it's, if, if this was the type of podcast where we came up with titles, uh, for the podcast, um, <laughs> And it was only me on the episode. We could call this episode only Muppets in the Building. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch so, uh, that show. I would too. Because like, it's like I think I think uh, Selena Gomez is awesome, but I just want to go to her and like, do you realize who you're working with? I mean, Martin Short too. But do you re have you heard these albums? Listen to these albums. You need to know these albums, even if they make no bearing on how you perform. You need to know that you're working with a comedy god. <laughs> but so, yeah those three keep those three it's that meme right you know like keep yeah. keep one human and the rest are muppets i would keep those three and then just everybody else in the building is muppets yeah and there's no murders it's just muppet shenanigans <laughs> three regular humans trying to live in an apartment complex with just muppets yeah <laughs> I would watch that show so hardcore. I've never seen a single episode of Only Murders in the Building because it's not my type of show. But like, I would watch Only Muppets in the Building. <laughs> Let oh an another right. another quick Steve Martin kind of deep cut here. So I mentioned he had that huge hit single King Tut, which he performed on Saturday Night Live. So it, I, I'm assuming. If anyone out there has seen the music video for like Walk Like an Egyptian or whatever, like I'm assuming you know, like if I say like the King Tut dance pose where you put your arms like, you know, kind of one up and one down, you know, and you turn sideways like a hieroglyphic and you kind of move your arms back and forth to be like, oh, I'm Egyptian, you know, that whole thing. Like that was part of the whole King Tut craze back in, uh, you know, when it, going along with his song back in, um, whatever that year, uh, 78. So fast forward to, I'm watching the movie, The Prince of Egypt. 
by DreamWorks, the animated film. And in that movie, Steve Martin and Martin Short are playing the, the these two soothsayers or whatever, and they have this whole music number uh, where they're trying to like intimidate Moses, and it's like you're playing with the big boys now or whatever. And at one point, the character voiced by Steve Martin very briefly does the King Tut dance. And I'm like, I see you. I see you, DreamWorks. You can't sneak that by me. <laughs> uh, anyway. I love little Easter eggs like that. Yeah, let's let's kind of jump onto the big the 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 the, the big target, I guess you could say, for this one, because this episode starts with a with a good old fashioned ten second content warning. <laughs> yeah, so that's a f- fun thing about. Um, you know, the, when the Muppet Show was finally up for streaming, all five seasons, I, and I, I, you know, it took me a while, but I, you know, watched through all of them. And then not every episode, but some episodes have that content warning. So for me, it kind of became a game like, okay, which thing in this episode is the thing that got the content warning? And it's fairly obvious in this one. And and luckily, it's it's a very short thing that isn't super glaringly obvious because there were some Muppet Show episodes where it was like super cringe and lasted like a whole musical number, (laughs) you know? It took me a minute to try to figure out what it was that they were doing. And then I was like, oh, it's, it's the Zucchini Brothers, isn't it? Well, I'm actually more thinking about uh, in one of Steve's bits where he's doing Ramblin' Guy, he's, like, trying to get the Muppets to sing along. It's like, all right, Ramblin' Guy, oh, no, and he's, like, doing things. And then and then at one point, Steve says, because he's, like, okay, he's, you know, doing this kind of call and response thing to get people to do things. And then Steve goes, in Chinese now! And then he, like, briefly does, like, kind of gibberish sounding Chinese things as if he's singing Oh, I totally missed that. I thought it was the Zucchini Brothers doing like the bad Italian accent and I was like, because that was the only thing I Yeah, it could have been been both but but I don't know, to me the Zucchini Brothers doesn't doesn't seem like it's egregiously (laughs) offensive, you know I don't know, I just I'd assume it was was the the in Chinese now bit from Steve's act (laughs) Okay, um, I would agree with you there, but that goes by so fast. I missed it in the rewatch. Yeah. yeah. But, so, you know. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm going to, now that we're talking about the episode, I'm going to say something that I I agreed with you when you were talking about Steve's act in general. The The cold open is Scooter trying to figure out if Steve Martin will work for the show. <laughs> and Steve does like his little arrow through the head bit and and everything and Scooter's like yeah you will totally fit in here. <laughs> and I thought that was a great way to open the show because Steve Martin's kind of weird nonsensical comedy was very much the same sort of thing the Muppets were doing. It was pulling from this vaudeville kind of style but with, like, a weird modern edge. Yeah, it's like both the Muppets and Steve Warren were essentially parodies of vaudeville. <laughs> In a way. Um, but yeah, just to, to, you know, following the the, the content warning, when, the, you know, we, we see the cold open where Steve's going to fit right in, and then when, after the... Uh, opening um uh, titles <laughs> during which because this is the this is like a handful of episodes into season two 
<laughs> and Statler and Waldorf's comment during the opening title says, I like the old opening better. <laughs> Yeah, and I dis I disagree with them. The the new opening is way better. <laughs> it's the one that everybody knows. Yeah, the season one opening is like you can tell there's some shots where there clearly weren't enough puppeteers <laughs> to make the effect they were going for. So yeah, um, but yeah, so then we get to the beginning. Kermit comes out and says that he has an an unfortunate announcement and. Uh, and that he missed he misunderstood the schedule and there actually is no Muppet show today that the show has been canceled because he had set that date aside for auditions for new acts for the Muppet show, which makes Statler and Waldorf happy to hear that the show is canceled, but they decide to stick around anyway. <laughs> because, you know, they're already there. They want to heckle. Why not heckle auditions? Yeah. So and, then, and, and I and I do like that because it's something unique. It's one of the rare non Muppet show Muppet shows. Yeah, that's another reason why I, I thought it was a good one to talk about because it is one of the few episodes that really breaks with what the usual uh, structure of the show is. It's like it's like it's it's. What was the other one you mentioned? The the train station episode? Yeah, when when we were talking at 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 at, at, at Disney, um, when we were talking before, uh, yeah, it, there's this one, and then there's the episode where it they they get kicked out of the of the, uh, of the theater and have to do an episode at a train station. The only other things that kind of come close are when they decide to do a thing where it lasts, you know, some kind of they're trying to tell a story that lasts the entire episode, like when they did um, uh, Robin Wonderland. Yeah, Al Al yeah, Robin Hood, Alice in Wonderland, and what was the thing with Marty Feldman? Was it Alibaba and the Forty Thieves or uh, something like that? Something like yeah, that. It, yeah, it uh, <laughs> it was it was it was him uh, telling stories to the Swedish chef that were all along that kind of you know Aladdin vibe, uh, <laughs> which and, and that episode ends with <laughs> with Fozzie rushing the closing number because he doesn't want to get like dumped in hot oil so he starts he starts the opening number and he, he's going to the cave and he's like open sesame and then the entire cast of sesame street comes out sunny day yeah. <laughs> and sadly that, that the, the sesame street song is cut from the uh from the D disney plus version yeah that that was a gigantic like boo <laughs> it's the best part of the episode why so well, we know why, but yeah, yeah. The thing is, for so many years, and when I was growing up, and I'm sure the two of you heard this too, um, that this was always lauded as the only episode of the Muppet Show that did not use a laugh track, because there is supposed mm -hmm. to be no audience. Yeah, the only. It's like the laugh track isn't a track at all. It's literally Steve performing to all the other puppet performers and they're genuinely reacting to him being funny. <laughs> yeah, which I always thought was a great story, but it turns out that in doing my research, I found out that the story is even kind of better than that. Ooh. So it turns out that there is a laugh track at some points, and the reason why is even better than there just not being a laugh track. <laughs> Apparently, um, during a, um, a Muppet Fest in, like, 2001 or something, 
um, it was revealed that they did actually have to put in some laugh track at one point because they did use the Muppet performers laugh for most of the episode. But it turns out that at some points, Steve Martin was so funny that Richard Hunt, best known as Scooter, Richard Hunt found Steve Martin so funny and Richard Hunt had such a pronounced laugh that when he started laughing at Steve Martin, it overwhelmed basically everything else. (laughs) (laughs) So at some points they had to equalize the sound with (laughs) some laugh track (laughs) to fill it in because most of it was just Richard Hunt being like, because like like, scooter comes in and brings him the balloon so he had probably had a a a mic wired up to his face on the on the headset daily while everybody else was just off in the back not directly mic'd yeah probably (laughs) so there's probably bits like that where scooter is interacting with steve martin and so you're probably right it was probably that richard hunt was mic'd and everybody else was being picked up by like you know boom mics or something um, and apparently his laugh was so loud that they did have to like slip in some laugh track stuff to equalize it. So it's not true that there's zero laugh track, but I think that's actually funnier. <laughs> the reason why they had to use some laugh track was that Richard Hunt just found Steve Martin so funny that his laugh was so overpowering that they had to equalize it out. I love that. Richard Hunt is like possibly just one of my favorites and, you know, bless him. But, Oh, also I, I, I'm, I have to go back and rewatch it again, but I'm pretty sure there is a laugh track for the cold open of the show, because that would make sense because that's, of course there would be a laugh track in the cold open of the show. The laugh track doesn't officially stop until, until Kermit tells the audience to leave. Well, yeah, that is, that is true. Um, Uh, Oh, and and, and as I watch this episode, you got to feel for Mary Louise and friend, AKA Terry Louise and friend, AKA Carrie Louise and friend, who is just trying to audition for the show, who can't even get one line out before getting hooked off off the stage, and we find out it's by Miss Piggy, who does who feels like she's going to get replaced by this girl. <laughs> she is the only girl singer on the show, darn it. Um, <laughs> but I I love I love the bit there the the bit because they sing Swanee Ribbit. And then old man ribbit, tie a yellow ribbit round the old oak tree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it's such a good running gag. And also by the third one, uh, she's, she's, she's like shaking. She's like so afraid of being yeah. pulled off again. <laughs> and I love the, the, I mean, I know it's not a complex edit, but the, the editing is so perfect that the hook goes to pull and then they cut to the wide shot of, of it being, of her being pulled away. Yeah. It's like <laughs> so great. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> granted it's, you know, rule of three. So it works, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you, 
at some level, you, you got to feel for this girl. She just wanted an audition and just was never really given a chance. It's like Prairie Dawn's older sister or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another thing I, I did like about this one was it's one of the rare instance, instances of us seeing Statler and Waldorf perform on stage. Yeah, in fact, when the Palisades uh, toy company made all of the amazing Muppet Show figures back in, uh, uh, what was that, the early 2000s, um, uh, I, it's like I couldn't hunt down I, – I just couldn't justify hunting down every single variant of every Muppet that they made. But I know that they did make a variant of, of the Statler and Waldorf figures where they're wearing those, those pink and orange striped suits. <laughs> So as they perform uh, the varsity rag, which is like so perfect for those two, some old timey, you know, uh, uh, Ivy League school <laughs> musical number. <laughs> and Fozzie finally gets his chance to rag on them the way they rag on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. I did like that. Um... And yeah, and it's also neat to see whenever they have to do those things where it's like, I'm sure that it was just basically having to adjust like color settings where there's Muppeteers there wearing all black, but they're like just behind the lighting enough that you can't see them. So that all you're seeing is Statler and Waldorf moving around and dancing and stuff like that. And you don't see all the puppeteers that are like right there. So I, I always loved figuring out, you know, because as a kid, I knew that they were puppets because because to me, that is part of what made them even more epic is that you know, that they were three-dimensional and real and, you know, uh, and that people had to operate them. And, you know, I loved trying to figure out, like, how they did certain things or whatever so I could maybe try to figure out how to do that stuff myself. Yeah, like, any anytime the Muppets did Black Velvet puppetry was some of my favorite stuff on Muppet Show. <laughs> here's, a, here's how much I believed in the power of Jim Henson and his his Muppeteers and his, you know, uh, crew that created all this stuff. It's like, I knew they were puppets. I knew that, like, for example, the Electric Mayhem Band, I knew they were puppets and that, you know, people were operating them. But as a kid, as a little kid, I believed that their instruments worked. I believed that the puppeteers were, like, playing the actual songs. <laughs> like, like, oh, they must have, like, a, a an air hose that goes up through Zoot so that when Zoot puts his mouth on the, on the saxophone, that's how the air goes to the saxophone so the saxophone works. Like, I, you know, the guitars and the drums and the keyboards are all pretty, you know, simple because you actually have to, like, pluck strings and stuff. So I just assumed those puppeteers were playing the music live via the puppets they were, you know, yeah. So that's how much I believed in that. <laughs> And their abilities. No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how much I believe in the Muppets, and I've I've told this on the show before. But for anybody who hasn't heard it, I got to meet Steve Whitmire when he was still the main Kermit performer, and he was giving a talk on puppetry, and he brought Kermit with him to show people who wanted to be puppeteers and everything. It was a very technical talk, but he did perform Kermit for us. I got up and I got to ask a question and I was asking the question of Steve, but you know, Kermit is sitting there on his lap and Muppet <laughs> performers never stop performing if they have a puppet on their hands. <laughs> so Kermit was like, quote unquote, alive while I'm sitting there. And even though like he wasn't behind a curtain or anything, 
Steve is sitting in a chair and he has Kermit on his lap. I mean, you can see the performer. You can see the puppet. He is talking about the puppet as a tool of puppeteering. It was a technical puppetry class, basically. And I couldn't help myself. I was like, hi, Steve. And then I went, hi, Kermit. And Kermit said hi to me, and I burst into tears in front of 2,000 people. <laughs> I was like 38 at the time. That's I how much you. the Muppets are, are to, to me. Like, I am watching a guy with a puppet on his hand talk to me. I know what is going on. And the second Kermit the Frog says hi to me... I burst into tears as a 38-year-old woman in front of, like, thousands of people. <laughs> and bless Steve Whitmire because he is looking at a sobbing 38-year-old woman and he said, I understand it happened to me too, except it was Jim. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, yeah. M Muppets are magic and you cannot convince me otherwise. <laughs> uh so what else i'm looking at oh by the way yeah season two gonzo i am very happy okay so i'm i'm not denigrating any particular seasons or episodes of the muppet show because every season has its you know amazing classic high notes and all that stuff but generally speaking the muppet show got better with each season uh be because each season they had like the previous season's stuff to work with. They didn't have to, like, rebuild a bunch of stuff. They could just use what they already had, um, you know, for, for one thing. But it just seemed like as time went on and they figured out more and more, like, what this show is and what they could do with it, things just got better and better. And one of the big improvements was I I, I don't like Gonzo with the sad eyes. It, it It's like, it's it just like I never really connected to him. So when they... When when Dave Goals like like they rebuilt Gonzo for season two, they gave him the retractable eyes, and then and then like suddenly that like Gonzo's real personality like burst into life, where he was like ah, you know I'm you know, because before he was like I'm Gonzo the Great, you don't understand art. It's like you know, <laughs> you know, and and there like, there were some tender moments with him in season one, but like he didn't become the Gonzo that's like the blazing fireball of you know weirdness and insanity and you know daredevil tree that we know <laughs> until until season two so yeah so anyway it was so cool to see like oh cool He's, the 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 gonzo 2.0 is here and he has his dancing cheese and that's awesome <laughs> i think this might have been the first time i saw the dancing cheese bit because like i said that was a u that's a uk spot and I don't think I had ever seen it before because I'd always seen the U.S. cut. <laughs> but I love the dancing cheese. Was it, wasn't it, didn't they kind of like sort of reference that in it's a very merry Muppet Christmas movie where Gonzo's like in that mall and he has Amy the dancing brick? <laughs> yeah, I think so. But, but she's just sitting there <laughs> or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, and then let's see what else I want to mention. Um, okay. I wanted to mention Marvin Suggs and the all food glee club 
singing Yes, We Have No Bananas, which was great. I loved that so much. I love the singing and the harmonies of all of those, you know, old school Muppet performers together. It's like so it, it just it's like a direct line into, you know, my, my inner happiness is hearing those voices singing together. Um, and so I have a this is something I've been pondering in general about the Muppets show for quite a while now. So the Dr. Demento show started in 1970 and became nationally syndicated in the U.S. in 74. The Muppet show started um, in April of 77 and it ran for five years. So the Dr. Demento show was on at the same time that the Muppet show was being made. And it was, you know, more or less the height of Dr. Demento's popularity, you know. So I always wondered, did the people who make the Muppet show listen to the Dr. Demento show and pick songs that they would potentially do on the Muppet show based on stuff they heard Dr. Demento play? Or is it just like a case of, oh, they're the same people who grew up in the same generation and like the same kind of stuff? Because I think it's, I think it's the latter. Because remember, this show was produced in London. So they mm -hmm. might not... They may not have access to Dr. Demento, at least during the times they're producing the show. Well, I'm trying. I don't know if because back then I thought that they were like pressing for syndication, that they were pressing the episodes like onto vinyl and then shipping them places. So they could have been shipped to England. I mean, it's possible the Dr. D show could have been heard in England back then. But I don't know. I'd have to like do more research on that. But but your your point is is incredibly valid. Um but just when I was doing my whole rewatch of the whole series and seeing episodes that I had either never seen or had only seen once and completely forgot about or whatever, but like in episode or like seasons four and five, like they did, they covered the Ying Tong song by the Goons. I'm like, they did the Ying Tong song? What the? You know, it's it's like they were pulling some amazing deep cuts from the worlds of bizarre, weird comedy music that barely anybody remembers. So, and, and it may not just be Jim. It could be any of the other Muppeteers. Just oh yeah, during and their break, staff. Yeah, just during their break in the U.S. Oh hey, I heard this weird song on the radio. It'll be perfect for the show. Plus, I like the fact that they came up with their own, you know, food pun based jokes for "Yes, we have no bananas." Yeah. <laughs> well, also remember that you know, like like we said earlier. The Muppet Show was a bit of a riff on the vaudeville style. And yeah. in the early years, a lot of these songs were vaudeville staples. Yeah. I mean, Yes, We Have No Bananas was a vaudeville staple. And, you know, a lot of these songs were. Um, but, yeah, I, think I mean, Varsity Drag was also one, you know. Um, but a lot of the ones from the er earlier seasons of Muppet Show were either from old Hollywood or they were from, or they were from vaudeville. So, yeah. And a lot of those were also where Dr. Demento was pulling from as well because those were big novelty songs that got covered by a lot of people so I think they're pulling from the same sources because yeah. of the, the inspiration but later on 
it wouldn't surprise me if maybe, you know, a writer had gone back home and heard something and was like, hey, here's an interesting song. Uh, well, I just wanted to at least, you know, uh, kind of quickly, you know, run through the stuff that Steve actually did on the show. Um, so when he first he, when he first comes out after Kermit announces the show's canceled, Steve, you know, basically does his his bit about, you know, like, oh, here, you know, he heard a rumor backstage that the show was canceled. It's like, oh, nobody came back here to tell me. Well, excuse me. <laughs> so that was his like big lead into the catchphrase. Uh, then he starts showing up to do, you know, to quote unquote audition or at the very least just perform for the guys in the audience because he came all the way there. So he might as well. So he does his uh, balloon animals bit uh, followed by uh, rambling guy, which is basically him just messing around on his banjo, uh, you know, doing some shtick that he came up with with the clubs. Then he does juggling guy <laughs> and then he ends uh with um, him doing a version of dueling banjos with the the Muppet Jug Band, which ends up uh, including like all the other acts that were there performing stuff that night, which was great. And um, uh, you know, because that was is like Steve Martin, like <laughs> it's it's like him playing the banjo was meant to be sort of like like a weird like throwback to those like Smothers Brothers, you know, folk, you know, '60s days of like you know, all that kind of protest music or all that movement, you know, so, but, so he comes up on stage in this like white seventies, you know, disco suit, but he's, but he has a banjo on. And then people think like, Oh God, he's wearing a disco suit. He has a banjo. Ha ha. That's funny. But then he starts playing it and he actually for real can play the banjo like a virtuoso and like melt people's brains with like, no, you're not, you're not, you're not hallucinating this. There's a guy on stage with an arrow through his head and balloons on his head, <laughs> and, you know, playing the banjo, like, you know, like some, you know, person at the grand old Opry could, you know? So, yeah. Um, so they, the, the whole dueling banjos thing goes around and the jug band is playing and they make sure to get some good close-ups on Steve's hand as he's playing the banjo so you can see like, no, he's not faking this. He's actually playing the banjo. Um, and that kind of leads to, you know, a grand finale moment, which is awesome. And yeah, and then they wrap up the show and Steve uh, says, you know, he's never been so honored to not be on The Muppet Show. <laughs> One thing I did like during the credits is that he's actually playing the Muppets along with yeah, the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> so st it. Steve Martin actually learned at least part of the Muppet Show theme song just so he can play along to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, so awesome. Um, there, <laughs> I, there was a there was a, a cutaway gag on Family Guy sometime in the past year. Where like somebody referenced like, you know, Steve Martin, and they cut to Steve Martin like in a mansion, like it's you know years ago. It's like, it's like, what should I do? I know, I'll spend five years doing comedy and then forty years playing the banjo. And he starts playing the banjo, and then a phone rings and he picks it up. Hello? No, I don't want ten million dollars to make a movie. I want to play the banjo. And he hangs up the phone and starts playing again. <laughs> Because he spent a lot of a lot of his he spent like the past 10, 15 years mostly uh, going on tour with his music band and playing banjo and doing that kind of stuff. So, yeah, he, I, I have to wonder how many things he turned down, you know, like Pink Panther three or whatever, where he could have made a few million bucks to be like, no, thank you. Banjo. 
<laughs> I mean, the the interesting thing is he also did a like wrote a Broadway play that was like a a um bluegrass Broadway musical. And it was nominated for a whole bunch of Tonys. <laughs> and I mean, it's if you like bluegrass and banjo music and stuff, it's it's pretty good, you know. Um, but it's it's uh one of those things where you're just like I'm sitting there watching the Tonys and suddenly there's this like bluegrass musical and then they're just like with music by Steve Martin and I'm like that's gotta be a different Steve Martin and nope there he is at the Tonys <laughs> it's time for professional show business hey <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh also I should mention uh uh, yeah, for for more info on Steve Martin, uh, there, he and Martin Short did at least one or maybe a couple of like comedy specials because they went on on tour together. And I can't remember which streaming service they're on, but just do a search for like it, Steve Martin, it, Martin it, Short. It, it, it is on. It is on Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Netflix should uh, pay their writers and actors, but yes, it is on Netflix. Yes, sure. And they the, should also um, save save Star Trek product. <laughs> yeah um but the um yeah there's there's a couple other little little things about this episode that i'd i'd love to mention um i absolutely love that uh the juggling act we we didn't do the talk about the juggling act and i love that bit because i love steve's bit with fozzy where he throw he's doing the juggling oranges and he throws the orange to Fozzie and he's like, now throw it back! And Fozzie throws it and he doesn't catch it and he turns around and steps on the orange and he's like, no! I have killed the orange! And then the Swedish chef shows up with a juicer and he's like, in, in Swedish, you know, gibberish, he's basically like, yeah, no, this is cool, just juice the orange. <laughs> and Steve Martin is... is talking back to him in the same Swedish gibberish. Yeah. But Steve's reaction to him stepping on the orange is like the epitome of Steve Martin, his stand-up comedy act acting. He's like, no, I killed it. But what's so funny is it works even better on The Muppet Show because we've just yeah. had Marvin Suggs with a yeah. group of singing fruit and veg. Yeah. <laughs> So the fact that he's, like, so torn up over killing an orange works even better on The Muppet Show because fruits and vegetables are sentient on The Muppet Show. <laughs> like, it's funny you know on what? stage. About, in, instead of that show, is it cake? How about, is it a Muppet? <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> Here we have a bureau. Is it a bureau or is it a Muppet? <laughs> Oh, that would be so funny. Like, I would just love to have, like, the Henson Company come up with, like, Muppets that don't look like Muppets. Like, you know, puppets that don't look like puppets. And then people go up to be like, you know, is it a bureau? And it's like, well, I'm going to go try to open this drawer. 
and then the thing just comes to life and like screams at you. <laughs> no, it was a puppet. <laughs> That would be so great. We keep coming up with good ideas for shows. Somebody pay us. <laughs> yeah, or, somebody or, pay or like, us. Or better yet, like a hidden camera prank show where like somebody's just like waiting in, you know, a waiting room to go in somewhere, and then all of a sudden, like all the furniture around them comes to life with like big muppety, like, and then they like ah, they freak out and they run outside, and they get outside, and all the muppets are sitting there like. Ah, ha, ha, ha. You've been muppeted. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I love it. More, more muppets. More muppets. More muppets. Anything is good. Yes. So I guess I I think we can wrap this one up. So Luke, well before before we we wrap before we wrap this up, there's one more important thing that needs to be mentioned, and that is you, Mister Tuesday, were an integral part. Of me creating my own Muppet show. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. And uh, in a way, Kiki as well. Because we uh, before that, because uh, Kiki was involved with uh, you and our, our other good friend, Carrie Dalby, creating uh, a music video for her song, uh, Wreckin' by the Book, a parody of Cookin' by the Book from Lazy Town about Cake Rex, which... Uh, yeah. Kiki, you were one of the puppeteers in in that music video. Yep. Yeah, and and, that, and and because Carrie first came to me with this project idea, and she's like, "Oh, we it's a parody of Lazy Town, so I want to have puppets." And she was talking about making puppets out of paper bags, and I'm like, uh, "You know, I'm like, no, if we're going to professionally film this, we want the puppets to be good." So I reached out to our friend Grandpa Choco, who has worked with the Jim Henson Company, uh, if he had any advice for me, and he pointed me to a website that had. Sewing, pappen, sewing patterns for, you know, properly Muppety-looking Muppets that you could make yourself. So I made a handful of puppets to for that video. And then, uh, you know, that led to me making more puppets of more friends of mine involved in the comedy music scene from the Fomp, etc. And then that led to, in 2013, uh, me deciding as the opening ceremonies of the MarsCon convention to make a whole 22-minute episode of... The Muppet Show using these puppets, except calling it the Fumpet Show, uh, which was took about five weeks to put together. Uh, you know, I, I had made a bunch of different puppet things, and uh, I, you know, you really went above and beyond helping me out making that a reality. So, if you want to see that, um, go to uh, my YouTube page, um, uh, YouTube.com/slash Lukeski L-U-K-E-S-K-I, and look for the Fumpet Show, which is uh, F-U-M-P-E-T. The Fumpet Show, and you can see that, and it was a lot of fun. So, as we as we wrap up here, Luke, uh, do you have anything to plug before we we let you go? Well, besides <laughs> Fump Fest and the Fumpet Show, um, I should I'd like to mention that uh, after me procrastinating for years and years and years, I finally got my music up on all of the various streaming services. So, if you go to you know Spotify, Bandcamp, iTunes, Apple Music, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, uh, SoundCloud, uh, all of my albums are now up there for everyone to listen to, including. My latest album, which is called Needlessly Meta, uh, which has all of the eight songs I had done uh, in the eight years previous uh, to that album's release. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, if you want to own a physical CD of it because you're old school and you like having physical things, uh, that is available only on the Bandcamp page, lukeski.bandcamp.com. 
Uh, so you can order that there. But otherwise, if you want to hear all of my stuff, go to all those uh, uh, music listening places. And on Spotify, I've even made a couple of playlists that have all of my, um, like basically a whole my whole discography in chronological order um, for you people to listen to. Um, because I'm intending to redo the Lukeski Top 50 poll uh, sometime pretty darn soon. And um, that way people can listen to all my stuff and get it all fresh in their head. Or at the very least, listen to the latest album, Needlessly Meta, because that's the one that needs to... Uh, that's the one that has to fight for positions. <laughs> all, the, all the more late, the more recent stuff. So there we go. So yeah, I'm so happy you're doing this special Muppets episode. And uh, I'm psyched to hear what everybody else is doing. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Luke, for coming on. And we hope to have you back on soon for another episode. And uh, after this little bit, we'll be back with our next guest. Bravo! Encore! Bravo! Encore! <laughs> He's a credit to his race. What race is that? The 100-yard dash. <laughs> <laughs> and we are back with our second guest. Our good friend Adam has returned. Hi, yes. and let me tell you what an honor it is to be on your 200th anniversary episode. I can't believe you've been doing this for 200 years. Congratulations. Yay. We are so old. Very, <laughs> very old and tired. Yes, so very tired. <sighs> but Muppets. But Muppets. Muppets. Yes, Adam. Uh, uh, Adam, you've been on the show plenty of times before. Uh, but Adam, since this is a show about the Muppets, uh, what was your introduction specifically to the Muppets show? Uh, my parents, uh, generally, because they loved the Muppet show. You know, my father, I believe, has worked with Jim, Jim Henson on a couple things in the past. But besides that, uh, they've just always loved the sort of timeless humor of the Muppet show. The fact that it's equally as funny for adults or children and you know depending on you know what jokes you choose to uh to understand and which jokes you choose to let slide it's really and it, the fact that it's you know sort of the last bastion of the old school variety show that was on television that was at all successful mm. and so my parents loved to watch three runs when i was a kid and i was always watch with them and i just i found it hilarious and then when i grew up and uh saw some episodes i realized oh hey those were the jokes that i didn't get back then <laughs> Uh, why specifically this episode? You've chosen the Paul Williams episode. Why Paul Williams? Because Paul Williams has sort of an inextricable history with the Muppets. After this, uh, his appearance on The Muppet Show, he wanted to write music for uh, many of the Muppet films and other Muppet projects, including uh, you know Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas and all that kind of stuff, including probably the most famous Muppet song of all time, Rainbow Connection. I mean, that alone makes would, would make him a legend. And, you know, also, Paul Williams is kind of a living Muppet himself. Which they play up in this episode. Yes. As Adam said, uh, a lot of jokes had been made at the expense of Paul Williams's height. He is not a very tall man, about 5'0"-ish. I think that's being a little, still a little degrading to him. I am sorry, Mr. Williams. But compared to other stars in Hollywood and other musical stars, he was a bit on the short side for uh, for a man. Let's say what it is. Paul Williams is the short king of short kings. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so they play that up 
in 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 the Muppet Show. They, you know, Kermit says, you know, we're not going to make any short jokes at at Paul Williams' expense, and then he kind of does a few on the side. Paul Williams himself makes this makes a a a a little comment that the only reason he did the Muppet Show was so he can be the tallest cast member on the show for the first time before a couple of other giant Muppets kind of kind of surround him. So, and even Kermit and, and Paul Williams have a little discussion of the famous short people in history. With, with a really fantastic sight gag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with he, the elevator, did Paul Williams just disappears through the ceiling. Now to look up at Paul Williams. So it's like, yeah, so yeah, the Paul Williams is short gag. At least he had a good sense of humor about that. I think, that, I think he always had a sense of humor about it. The, he's always had a sense of humor about it throughout his life. And, you know, and, and he's, he's, you know, in his acting career, he's, he's, it's not really come up that much. You know, he's played, uh, he's just played characters that happen to be short rather than the shortness being the purpose of his characters. Mm. Well, except in the uh, one Muppet bit where he played the Christmas elf. Yes. Which we've talked about before. Yeah. And since this is a season one Muppet Show episode, you can see the intro isn't quite as spectacular as it would be come season two and onward. Very basic. It's got those and creepy Muppet statues on the uh, the side of the uh, the big finale of the intro. Uh, yeah, as our friend Luke said in our last segment, it was very clear that they did not have enough puppeteers to do this intro correctly. So a lot of the Muppets were just dead puppets on on the end of a stage. And it's, it's also it's, it's also interesting seeing some of the bits that were uh, pretty common in the first season that never showed up again, like the talking houses. Yeah. You know, I have such a particular love for some of the season one running gags, like the ballroom uh, dance and Wayne and Wanda is one of my favorite bits. I love Wayne and Wanda. And I absolutely adore the talking houses. The talking houses feel like they'd be way more at home on on like Sesame Street than uh, than the Muppet Show, though. For me, I think the 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 intro and outro music to them sound more like Sesame Street music than Muppet music. Yeah, but I just love that they have this whole set, and then it's just a really short gag, and then it cuts away. You know? Yeah. Also, no cold open that will become the standard of the uh, later Muppet seasons. No, you know, Paul Williams, 15 seconds to curtain, Mr. Williams. Yeah. It's just, it's the Muppet Show with a special guest, Paul Williams, and no yay. No yay, just, he just shakes and mouths a yay, but he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't make a yay. Uh, also, the, um, the, ex the intro's a bit longer because you have... Uh, Fozzie doing a joke during the intro and Kermit doing his to introduce our guest star. That's what I'm here to do. Both of them get cut in in in, in the later seasons, which good. Um, uh, uh, it 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 makes the intro longer than it needs to be. 
Well, yeah, it's all part of the learning experience of, of a yeah. show in its first season. I mean, they you never know, really done what a... works and what doesn't. Yeah. Well, I think it's because you can either have Scooter do the cold open, or you can have Kermit do the introduction of the guest in the opening song. But to do both is a bit overboard. Over, overkill. Yeah. So uh, as as uh, as we were talking before we got on mic, this episode is a bit of a historic one, as this is the first appearance of Muppet Labs in the Muppet Show. Yeah, it's a classic Muppet Labs bit too. <laughs> yeah. So the Muppet Labs set isn't quite there yet. It's just a blank background with a desk and Bunsen. Excuse me. And Bunsen. No, no Beaker yet. Yeah, Beaker wouldn't be added until season two. But yeah, Bunsen doing the Muppet Tenderizer, which can work on all dishes, including the empty plate he has right in front of him. He seems to be a little bit too uh, fond of that plate, really. <laughs> yes, he just cuddles well, with it. Well, like he a... doesn't have Beaker yet. Oh. He's, <laughs> he's lonely. Poor, uh, poor honeydew shaped doctor. Yeah. And and um yeah, not all of the voices are not all of the characters have their signature looks yet, and not all of the characters have their signature voices yet. Oh yeah, like the weird proto Miss Piggy in the uh, the ballroom dance scene. I'm trying I think I'm trying to remember That was up. before Frank Oz took over. Yes. I believe we I want to say that's Jerry Nelson, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it I'm is, not it sure. It is clearly Miss Piggy. It is clearly what becomes Miss Piggy, but it's not the right voice. And she doesn't look quite right. And it, it is a little disconcerting. And she doesn't have the name Miss Piggy yet, I don't right. believe. No, um, she doesn't. She was just a pig puppet at a the pig point. pig woman. Yeah, we've talked about it before, but Miss Piggy went through a lot of puppeteers before... Frank Oz picked her up and gave her that personality and that voice. Um, yeah, Jerry Nelson and Richard Hunt for one episode. I don't know which episode that was. Yeah, might have been this one. I'm not sure. The um, the other thing for this episode um, is that this is the first appearance of Robin. He shows up in the UK spot, which we've talked about multiple times this episode already. But in the UK spot, which is added back for Disney Plus, um, in which Mary Louise, hey, we're talking about Mary Louise again. Um, she sings, I'm in love with a big blue frog. And it has an entire frog chorus that includes Kermit a bunch of whatnot frogs, and there is the first appearance of a tiny little frog that we would come to know as Robin. Pretty much has, looking like you would always look. Has the frog prince come out at this point? No, no, this is the very first time we see Robin. Huh. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's, yeah. that, that's That's, that's kind of cool. Also, uh, Janice is not Richard Hunt yet. 
Yeah, Janice has a completely different voice. She has the same look, but when she speaks in the ballroom number, she has a completely different voice. Yeah, but when, she when does Janice have the best. That kind of freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, she does have the best joke in the ballroom sequence, uh, which is that man is annoying me, and Zoot says, "Why he's not even looking at you." And she says, yeah, that that's what's annoying me. <laughs> if you have if you made the effort to put on a very nice outfit to go to the dance and no one is looking at you, then what is the point? Exactly. Uh, Aaron Oskar is actually doing Janice in this episode. So right. it's, it's one of the few times Janice is actually voiced by a woman. This is also interesting because um, this is the um, one of two episodes we're talking about for our 200th episode special in which I have met one of the people who is in the episode. Uh, who, who, who is it? Uh, this is one of Fran Brill's only appearances on the Muppet show. She only made uh two appearances on the Muppet show. She's better known for being on Fraggle Rock and also in Labyrinth. She was a Muppet performer. She just didn't do a lot of Muppet shows. She only appeared uh twice. She's doing um Mary Louise here. Um and she uh, also puppeted, uh, she does the voice of Mary Louise, but she did the puppeteering for uh, Robin and then Janice during the silence bit, because Janice doesn't talk for that. Uh, um, Fr Fran Brill, Brill, also the original voice of Janice in the Muppet Show pilot, Sex and Violence. Yeah, so um, she only did... The two appearances in the first season, and then, you know, she she left for other hints and work. Um, but, yeah, I, I actually uh, got to meet her as part of a uh, 30th anniversary. I forget which anniversary they were celebrating, but I got to meet her and Brian Henson for a big um, labyrinth anniversary thing. And uh, got to meet her and Brian and get their autographs and everything. So, uh, yeah. One of my favorite things that they did, at least for the first season of The Muppet Show, is that they would make a Muppet doppelganger for every host of that first season. And we get to see this one on screen, two of them, with Paul Williams doing old-fashioned love songs. A song that he wrote for the uh, the band Three Dog Night. Mm. In fact, uh, that's 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 where a lot of Paul Williams' career comes from is writing songs for other bands, not necessarily for himself to perform. Uh, this song, "Old Fashioned Love Song," was written for Three Dog Night as well as others. He wrote so many songs for the Carpenters, including "Rainy Days" and "Mondays." Mm. And we've only just begun. And we've only yeah, so many huge hits that he wrote. And that uh, no, that he didn't perform. That nobody really knows were written by him. Yeah, Evergreen for Streisand from her version of Star Is Born. Um, yeah, I mean, 
It's uh but he's a he's a very prolific songwriter and uh, you know he's got a great performance career on his own but like so many songs he's written for other other artists that have just been enormous hits. And from my understanding Paul Williams still has one of those Paul Williams Muppets in his possession. Although, I mean, wouldn't you? Although it's it's not in the greatest condition these days. Foam, la- foam latex does not last. Yeah, but he still has it. Yeah, but. the interesting thing about it is that um, while the Muppet performers did do the puppeteering, of course, the voices you hear are all Paul Williams. He recorded a vocal track for all three uh part harmony oh that's cool um so the the muppets that you see singing are also paul williams voice um and it's just being puppeteered to go along with the backing track and i always it's got some of my favorite it's got some of my favorite background muppets in it too like the jug band jerry yeah i was gonna say one of my favorite cameo muppets i was like the spot when I watch these old Muppet shows is the Jim Henson Muppet. Well, in it's, this in this one, it's it's the Jerry it's the Jerry Nelson Muppet. Oh, that's the Jerry Nelson Muppet. I thought yeah. that was Jim Henson Muppet. Nope, it is it is Jerry. Uh, but like one of my favorite Muppet, um, not not main character groups is the Folk Trio because it's just Jim Henson, Jerry Nelson, and, and Frank Oz just having fun. <laughs> so seeing seeing any of those three outside out of context is great. Yeah. Um the the thing I I like about that is I love the idea of the other the muppets coming out of the radio that yeah. he's he's just sitting there and then the radio opens and the muppets come out from the radio and join him in the song. And and, and it, it just I mean in, in, in typical Muppet fashion, it just completely changes tempo during the chorus because it's the Muppets and why not why not? The one thing that I was having trouble figuring out is um you know, with Luke we talked about how they made it a point to zoom in on Steve Martin playing the banjo. And in this one, um, Paul has his, like, little guitar or whatever, but I didn't see any strings on it. That's because he's not actually playing it. <laughs> yeah, but, but that, that's, the, that's the thing is, like, usually they would at least have had, you know, like, when Muppets are, are playing instruments, they at least put like fake strings and stuff on it to make it look. But I was really freaked out because he's just holding the guitar and there's no strings on it, but he's strumming it and fingering it like he's playing the guitar, but there's no strings on it. And it tripped me out because I'm like, yeah, of course you're not actually playing for the recording because it's pre-recorded but like normally a prop guitar would have like strings on it and you just try not to hit them 
You know, I mean, that just, it, look, that, it, it just looks like a guitar you'd find in the toy aisle, aisle of a supermarket. Yeah. And it, it wouldn't even look like a, like a prop guitar. <laughs> wouldn't be surprised if that's, they just grabbed the toy guitar and, and Paul and said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pretend to play this. <laughs> yeah, it's like even Kermit's banjo has strings on it, which is, you know, it and was they just make so an effort, weird. And they make an effort to show uh, Kermit strumming it and picking the 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 uh the strings but eh. i'm only okay. to let it slide just because overall the musical number is fantastic yeah it's it's so much fun like the it, it, it's got the right combination of like it starts out really moody with the rain on the window and the mm-hmm. you know it's in a minor key and stuff and then the chorus is in a major key and all the you know the muppet chaos happens and it's just and the, the set is great too like it's such an evocative set with the, the old radio and the, the the easy chair that Paul Williams is sitting in. It's like it's 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 a really well designed piece. And I get why they stopped after season one because more episodes and they were producing them faster, so they just did not have the time to produce a Muppet doppelganger for every host that came through. But it 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 it, it would. It would have been very interesting to see what what they would have come up with for some of the, for some of the guests in the later seasons. Yeah, it probably got to be pretty expensive making a new Muppet for every uh, for every, every episode. Yeah, for every episode. In addition, a Muppet that they would just give away rather than keep and use in future episodes. Yeah. Can we talk about the running gag in this episode? Oh, and the, that's one thing that makes this a classic Muppet Show episode. Is that it's got a running gag with an absolutely terrible payoff. The telephone pole sketch. <laughs> like it's, it's a classic Muppet Show runner and it's a classic Muppet Show terrible punchline. Oh, and it's so good. So yeah, Fadi's trying to get it, uh, his act together and it stinks. And Scooter says, well, why don't you do the old telephone pole routine? Yeah, it'll knock him dead. Oh, you don't have to do anything, Fozzie, because you're the telephone pole. <laughs> so, the, of course, thought the whole thing is, I am a telephone pole. I am a telephone pole. I stand perfectly still. I am made of wood. And all the people are like, what, Fozzie? You don't know anything about being a telephone pole? And yeah, it the turns wo- out that Fozzie is a really good telephone pole because a lineman puts a line on him. A woodpecker tries to peck into his skull. <laughs> And how do you know he's a lineman? Because he sings, I'm a lineman for the county. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Wichita lineman. Oh, and 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 Kermit figures, you know, figures out that they're gonna do the the telephone poles because they like, eh, you're really gonna do this, Scooter? Good luck. <laughs> like even Kermit knows this is gonna be a bad idea. Well, I just, and, and I, I love I love the complete twist of what actually the telephone pole bit is, and it's just so much worse than you could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Why, hello there. What is your name, Mike Osnowitzki? You must be the telephone pole. <coughs> it's a classic. It is a classic Fozzie style punchline, not delivered by Fozzie. The interesting thing is, is that the uh. The the more inside joke of that is that the uh, the name that they chose 
was in honor of Frank Oz's father. Oh, that's cute. Whose name is Mike Osnowitz. Frank Oz's full last name is Osnowitz. So they just added ski on the the end of it uh, to make it a little more Polish. A little more Polish. Um, But that is a direct, you know, homage to Frank Oz's father, who was also a puppeteer. Oh. Um, and did, uh, he was best known for, for doing marionettes. So Frank Oz's parents were, were puppeteers, uh, that specialized in marionettes. Uh, if anybody didn't know. And well, so that's, 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 that's nice to know. That's actually really neat. Yeah. And, um, that's kind of how he ended up falling in with, uh, Jim Henson and the Muppets, uh, was because he already had a background in puppetry because that was family business. Uh, and when he went into work with Jim Henson, he shortened his name to Frank Oz because it was easier for Hollywood. (laughs) So, yeah. Another one that I really liked is the beginning one with All of Me. The, the, the you know, the music is definitely Muppetized, and it's just this. Everything okay over there? Yeah, sorry, my cats are being especially insane today. Now they're attacking my ukulele. So give me one ukulele moment. Ukulele kitty! <laughs> give me one moment, I'm going to stick it in his case so they stop attacking it. We should leave ukulele kitty in. <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I don't know why the cats are being especially crazy today, but they really are. And they're driving me nuts. Okay. All is taken care of. All right. So like I said, the, the all of me sketch, I well, just it, love that, that they built this tear apart Muppet. That all of its body parts can be torn off the lips, the ears, the nose, the arms, the hands, just. Granted, well, it's, probably, it's one of those classic Jim Henson uh, uh, puppet sketches, like that he that that, that you know is how he rose to uh, to, to prominence. You know, like it's, it's similar to the "I've grown accustomed to your face" and all that, all those other older sketches. Yeah, this is definitely a, a feels like a Sam and Friends sketch that they just redid for this one, which which works. And we've talked about the um, the black velvet puppetry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh with Luke and this is another great bit of black velvet puppetry because the base puppet underneath is made of black velvet and then it's covered with your typical muppet fur so that as they rip bits off the base puppet underneath is just black velvet. And it's um, kind of it's kind of the place where puppetry and mime intersect. Yeah. So as he's ripping bits of him off, you still have the the working puppet underneath that is black velvet against the black velvet background so that it looks like he's disappearing and it's a really good effect. And and, and it's got some great, great, great jokes in it too. Yeah. Like you want my nose? Guaranteed not to run. Friends, yeah. Romans, countrymen, t- lend me your off. ears. <laughs> yeah. Or you want my hair? Hair it is. <laughs> yeah. 
I I love how Jim had that ability to listen to some of these really adorable romantic metaphorical songs and go let's do that in the most literal way possible for absurdism's sake you know as the muppet is digging into his chest and taking out its literal heart <laughs> yeah no that's you know that's that's kind of the the Jim Henson absurdist subversive co- comedy you know it's really it's taking what people expect and take for granted and just turning it 90 degrees and having them go oh oh that's why it's funny which is exactly my type of humor cuz you know i i love the the literalism of it it's my it's my philosophy it's my philosophy of comedy that explaining the joke always makes it funnier. <laughs> yeah, depending on how you do it, I I do think that that can can absolutely work, and I think that Muppets kind of uh, do that in a in a lot of ways. Well, you know, it's like the later uh, the the, uh, the Paul Williams sketch later where that where he's the travel agent. Yeah. Got anything cheaper? Hey, Charlie, you want to mail this to Pittsburgh? <laughs> Such a great gag. I can put you standing room only on a rickety bus for 75 bucks. <laughs> you got anything cheaper? <laughs> also, those prices for what? what is this, 1974 or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I could do with those prices now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that for Paul Williams being mostly known as a singer songwriter that we get so many kind of just talky sketches or comedy sketches with him. Even I, I, think, the, I believe he'd done some acting at that point. So I think they do. He could, he, he could act and he could be funny. When did what? Phantom of the Paradise come out? <laughs> Around the same time. Yeah. He, yeah, uh, 74. But the um, the thing is, is that even for the people who were more known for acting, Muppets was such a musical show. Yeah. I mean, there was... When they had Sylvester Stallone on, he wasn't really known as a singer, and he sang. Yeah, same same with, like, Roger Moore. You know, they bring on Roger Moore, and Miss Piggy sings to him. You know? Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's kind of interesting that they do straight-up kind of SNL-type sketches with Paul Williams. I was going to say, especially the Muppet News segment, that's a, that's straight out of Weekend Update. Yep. And it's funny. It is very funny. Also, like, I love that the Muppet News Flash has kind of remained unchanged from what it is in this episode and all the other first season stuff it shows up in. Yeah. And I love, I love, once again, it's kind of an absurdist thing because it's like, oh, you know, Here's a guy with an unusual story, and then the unusual story is just, 
I was sitting at home and my phone rang and I picked up the phone and nobody was on the other end. In the story, you know, (laughs) went back to watch television. (laughs) And I love how the news guy is just like, "Oh, yep, okay, that's unusual." The smug look that Paul Williams has as he tell as he finishes his stories, and yep, that's a great story. (laughs) Got me on the news. (laughs) And then, and then the the newsman is just like. Yeah, you know he's he's got that sigh of like we really need to vet these stories before I yeah. put them on air. You know that, that <laughs> is, you know, that, and that that's a classic running gag throughout Muppet News Flashes. It's always something stupid like that, or you know, with something incredibly literal. Like I think one of my one of them I remember was was hail the size of golf balls, and then he just gets pelted with golf balls. <laughs> yeah. It's really, maybe this was added later, but according to Wikipedia, they say Sad Song got edited out of the Disney Plus version. And I watched the Disney Plus version, and it's there. Yeah. I even went and found uh, an original version of it um, on a website that shall not be named that has a lot of the older episodes uncut. And I played it back to back, you know, side by side. And there's no edit there, so unless they have, in some recent time, reintegrated that song back into the episode, and just hasn't updated the Wikipedia for it. Well, I, I, I do remember. I do remember, like the 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 when Muppet Show first showed up on on the current streaming service we're discussing, um, that uh, that a lot of the 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 UK spots had been cut. And they restored those later. So it might have been something that the whatever source they got this episode from didn't have it, or had had an edited version, and then they later updated it with the uh, the uh, with the uh, the unedited version when they added back in like the UK spot or something like that. Possible. Um, speaking of the sad song, that I, I I love the variety of Muppets singing back up on that, including the janitor, including OG Gonzo, Sad Eyes yeah. Gonzo. Who did not show up in this episode otherwise? No, he did not. Yeah, just the the typical opening and, you know, which was reused from a different episode even. Because that particular opening with the him hitting the O and, you know, reverberating from the, the gong-like thing. Um... That was reused multiple times in the first season. But, yeah, as far as appearing in the episode, Gonzo wasn't really used. And again, you can see the, as 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 Luke had mentioned before, you know, you know, a lot of people call him Sad Eyes Gonzo. Because he's not quite there yet. He doesn't have the bug eyes he would get known to have if he just has a sad expression on his face and even his the way his mouth opens with the puppet is just very sad with a frown and he when he would get rebuilt for the second season he'd be the the gonzo we all know and love what i love about the 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 sad song musical number is that it's it's just played so completely sincerely you know, it's just this uh, sort of bittersweet uh, breakup song. 
and they just they just treat it 100% seriously even though it's all muppets singing it it's just and i include paul williams in that that it's just <laughs> they just treat it very tenderly and seriously and it it shows the the it proves the range of the muppets that you know the muppets can be incredibly silly and fun and and over the top but they can also just be emotional you know mm-hmm. i think my weirdly my favorite part of the muppets is when they are sincere and emotional like i'm going to go back there from the muppet movie yeah which is possibly I, I cry my every favorite time. Possibly my favorite Muppet song. I know everybody is all like Rainbow Connection, but I think I'm going to go back there someday is my all time favorite Muppet song ever. Although it maybe led to the worst Muppet movie, which was uh, Muppets from, from Space. I don't know. I've got a soft spot in my heart for that one. <laughs> I mean, they, like you said, they ended up re recording that song for that movie. Yeah. And I, I actually also like the, uh, the, the re-recorded version of it so ralph is my favorite muppet like ralph is my absolute favorite muppet he's he's quite literally the underdog he's overlooked a lot he don't nobody really notices him but he's he's there all the time and I, you know jim henson has said ralph is the the one that's closest to him in personality and just the 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 and plus the just the the complete absurdity of him reading a poem and then the entire cast acting out the poem behind him is brilliant. And it's actually not a bad poem if you just listen to the, the words themselves. Yeah. And then he, it's a poem about silence and then the punchline is Kermit coming in today. Hey, Rolf, can you keep it down? We're trying to do a show here. That's <laughs> just, just, it's classic. It's classic Rolf to me because he's always just sort of misunderstood and just kind of hang dog and just, uh, I love, I love it so much. Yeah, you know, and I and I love that it's more than him just being, you know, the piano player too. That he's he's doing something spoken word. And unfortunately, you know, the the Ralph poems didn't last past the first season. Eh. I mean, yeah, I lo- I love the way that they interpreted the silence poem, and in that it wasn't always exactly what you expected. Some of it was very literal, and some of it was a bit off kilter like you know i i just love the forbidden fruit and then it's like miss piggy coming in chomping on an apple core (laughs) yep (laughs) that and and the music of silence and it's just it's scooter just listening to his radio yeah and the um the whispers of whatever, and then it's Zoot and Janice coming in, like gossiping to each other in a whisper. It, it is really weird how they kind of set up Zoot and Janice as a couple in this first season, and then from then on out, it's Floyd and Janice. I just think that the Electric Mayhem is just one big polycule, but that's just me. I mean, have you seen the the Mayhem series? Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> I mean, have you ever met a band before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's not kid ourselves. Yep. But uh, I think that's everything we could say about this episode. So uh, before we 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 wrap up here, 
Adam, is there anything you want to plug before we let you go? Well, you can, uh, of course, follow me on all the socials, um, uh, Instagram and Twitter. I'm not going to call it the other thing. Uh, and TikTok are all Big Bass Bone. That's B-I-G-B-A-S-S-B-O-N-E. And uh, my band, the world-famous Poxy Boggards, we have a brand new album this year. It is called Triskaidekaphobia, which is a play on Triskaidekaphobia, which is a fear of the number 13. You make of that pun whatever you will. Uh, there's many interpretations, but it's available on all the major streaming services. Um, and perhaps uh, if you want a hard copy, if you know what a CD is, just get in touch with me and I can get you one. All right. So uh, we are going to take a little bit of a break here and we'll be right back with our final guest. A masterful performance. Hmm, reminiscent of the late Rudolf Besser. Rudolf Besser is dead? No, he's late. Uh, he was supposed to be here at Statler, hmm? you always get me with that same dumb joke. Well, maybe it's not the joke that's dumb, if you catch my drift. <laughs> and we are back with our final guest of the show. Just fil just done filming a special across the hall, Mr. Kyle Carosa. Hiya, 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 hiya. <laughs> Kyle, good friend of the show, of course, host of the podcast, co-host of the podcast, Kyle and Luke talk about tooth with our earlier guest, Luke Ski. And uh, you will also be at FumFest in a few weeks. Yes, I will. Uh, I'm mostly just attending, uh, unless stuff happens, but uh, I have one or one or two bits of business to do. Uh, so, yeah, you will see me there. So, yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about Thumbfest, go back to the Luke segment. He explains it all. <laughs> so, K Kyle, um, we've asked this of our other guests, and I will ask this of you. How did you specifically get into The Muppet Show? Okay, so I'm afraid that this is going to involve other Muppet-related things <laughs> leading me there. Uh, you know, I, I watched Sesame Street like so many uh, uh, people my age, uh, and, you know, that gave me a familiarity with Muppets in general. Uh, uh, and, you know, I, I don't quite know in what order I obtained things. I had a uh, Muppet Show record album, which I still own, the first one, uh, that I used to listen to a lot, because I, I had a Fisher-Price record player, much like the one I still have now, because that's what brings me the nostalgia sounds. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a you know collection of songs from the, the first season. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that, you know, I know that I saw the, um, Muppet, the first Muppet movie a number of times, as well as a few other ones, and I was, you know, uh, watched a whole lot of Muppet Babies. Um, now, now, the Muppet show... It, itself i don't know that i had super available to me and so i have seen it less than other muppet things uh i know that i would like see like isolated segments or like videos that are like just like musical bits from it and stuff like that uh and so not a whole lot of like full episodes uh and so it was more recently you know i'm sure i saw an episode or two but it was more recently uh i i, I I got uh, some of the DVD sets before they dropped on Disney and watched some. started watching those. And then when they watched on Disney, it dropped on Disney, I started watching more. But I think I'm only, like, fully two seasons in, which is one of the reasons I chose such an early episode. It's because that's what I've seen. Um, and also I figured that, you know, the other people that you were talking to today would not be choosing such, like, early formative episodes. But... Uh, 
yeah, so that's that's kind of my, you know, I, I have a long Muppet journey, but the Muppet show was actually a smaller part of it uh, just due to circumstances. You'd think so, but the last episode we just talked about was another season one episode with Paul Williams. <laughs> oh, Paul Williams is a good uh, guy to talk about in connection to Muppets. No, any. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, why Peter Ustinoff of all of all uh, people? I would figure you would choose uh, someone else, but why, why this one? Uh, I chose it because, like, you know, as I'm watching these, you know, I'm watching this, the show kind of become itself. Like, and, and that's an interesting process, seeing, like, the Muppet Show become the Muppet Show. Because there's, you know, a lot of things being set up. You know, characters, personalities are starting to form. Like, you know, at this point, we finally have, you know, Miss Piggy played by uh, Frank, Oz, Frank yeah. Oz as 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 we know her. Um, but, like, you know, even in this, we're still, like... We still have like a ballroom segment where Janice and Piggy are not played by their usual by their usual performers. Um but this was the first one where I felt like the guest really gelled. Like here is someone who's not just like you know, I'm the celebrity guest, I'm doing this because this is, you know, what I was asked to do. I'm confused by being here. This is someone who truly came to play. This is not phoned in in the slightest. He's like I love it because he's treating the Muppets like any other improv partner. Like he's playing against them. He's playing with them. Uh, he's even like at some points, like, like, like physically touching them. Like he pats Kermit on the head. He puts his arm around Fozzie. Uh, and it feels like, oh, okay, he, he's does not, he's not being slowed down at all by the, like the fact that he's, you know, with puppets that he's with like, you know, physically manifested cartoon characters he's like these are my co-stars i'm treating them like my co-stars and uh, yeah that's th that's very similar to what luke said about steve martin that this was a, mm. a a host that treated the muppets like colleagues yeah and it, it's it's actually kind of funny to bring up steve martin in that context because uh i've observed two things about like him in this sort of situation before like you know, Lindsay and I just watched uh, the Muppet movie just for the hell of it a couple of days ago, and Steve Martin, you know, as the put upon uh, guy working at the restaurant, is fantastic. He plays it just right. Uh, I think uh, Steve Martin's shorts deserved, you know, a uh, supporting actor uh, Oscar of, of their own. Uh, but then, like, if I've brought this up on a, on a few different podcasts, but like, if you compare that to Steve Martin in uh, Looney Tunes Back in Action, like, he goes I exactly too big in that. Like, in Looney Tunes Back in Action, the character he's playing is, feels like he's, like, trying to compete with the Looney Tunes. Like, it's, too, like, way so far over the top that, like, he wants to be a Looney Tune. In, in the Muppet movie, you look at Steve Martin and he's like, oh, he's playing with them. He's, like, not not trying to be above them. He's the exact amount big that, you know, should be played against Kermit. Hmm. And so that, and that's also how I feel about Peter Ustinov here. Like he's not holding back, but he is acting like a member of the cast rather than someone above them. Yeah. I think one of the 
best parts of it is when Kermit is explaining the concept that anything can be a Muppet. And they're yeah. talking about, like, he was, Ustinov says, like, oh, yeah, no, I went to sit down in my dressing room and the chair walked off. And they were like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's a Muppet and she's married to the writer, which is the the hat rack. The the culmination of that joke is perfection because at the end we get used enough with the coat rack, arm around the coat rack. Oh yeah, we're friends now. And the <laughs> and the hat rack gets a writer's credit. Yeah. Yes. That Someone is one of the best jokes in cared. Muppet history, yeah. <laughs> yes. I love that in the the Muppet Wiki, which, by the way, shout out to Muppet Wiki. Every time we do a Muppet episode, they are our saving grace. So everybody who runs Muppet Wiki, you are the best. We love you. Um, but I love that in the Muppet Wiki, it says, and I'm quoting here, this would be the only time an inanimate object would receive writing credit on the series Possibly due to conflicts with the Writers Guild. <laughs> Whoever wrote that bit is my personal hero. And the Hat Rack Guild, and that is, you know, we support their strike as well. Yes. Pay pay your writers and your Hat Rack writers, and yes. <laughs> the, um, but I, I love that that leads into... The sketch where Kermit says that Ustinov is going to be a Muppet and it leads into the Muppet Labs sketch where <laughs> Ustinov does all of his impressions. And, and, and some of them are very good. Obviously, he's doing Churchill and he's doing... His Nixon sounds like W.C. Fields. I don't know if he was even tempting Nixon or he was just going to say, I'm going to do W.C. Fields. <laughs> Because he's doing the hand motions of Nixon. The peace sign, I am not a crook. But he's doing W.C. Fields. Hmm. And that it whole thing is... It, great it, together. Yeah, and that whole thing is great, especially with... with uh, I mean, this does feel like an improv sketch. Where it's just one actor in a scientist, a scientist outfit... Just pushing random buttons on a control and saying the 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 uh, the suggestion, and the actor is just going with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I feel like the Ustinov segments uh, have to have had like a at least a certain amount of improv in them. Like, I wonder if like they did that opening bit and then had to go find a cat a, a coat rack. <laughs> yeah, that. That is funny, because the thing is, the coat rack is not a, a Muppet. It is not a puppet in any way. Yeah, it's just like a hat rack. ball eyes on it or anything. Yeah. yeah, it's not articulated in any way. It's just a hat rack. <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, all, all of the segments with him feel like they've got a certain amount of improv to them, or maybe entirely, like... You know the 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 bit with Fozzie, you know, really feels like it. Uh, and the the um, psychiatry bit seems like it had you know some amount of structure. And then like beyond that, he's just like playing with them. 
that that bit with the psychiatry bit ends in one of my favorite things where he's talking about the primal scream therapy which is a real thing <laughs> yeah but then he's like yeah i just find primal screaming makes all my problems go away and kermit's like oh show us and then he just screams at the muppets and they all <laughs> fall away and he's like see no more problems like <laughs> Which I was like, oh man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just, whenever people are annoying me, I could just scream at them till they go away. And I the, mean, you could. <laughs> you could, yeah. I mean, and yes, I could, but it's kind of frowned upon. And the, the exclamation point on that is him pouring the water out of the cup into the yeah. picture and drinking yep. from the picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so good. Which makes you wonder, is that water? Ha! <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's Jim Henson and the boys. It could be anything. Could be. Um, but yeah, uh, a thing I wanted to point out about this uh, episode that is not uh, Houston off himself is uh, we are getting a lot of uh, explosions as punchlines, which is, you know, very indicative of early Jim in particular. But, like, we're getting a bunch of them in a row. I, I think it's possible that like I, I think you know especially at this point in the show things were they like recorded a bunch of stuff and didn't necessarily know where in their episode run they were going to fit like uh, I, I think I said this earlier but like I, I think they recorded probably all of the ballroom bits like at the beginning of the season and then cut them up and just put them wherever possible especially well the voices are consistent in the uh, dance sequence, so you might yeah. be right. Yeah, why it's did, why did it come uh, with the punch bowl? That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting, like seeing like some of the indications of like early stuff that would get smoothed out later. Particularly like watching the opening, and you know, got like Janice, a recognizable Muppet dressed up as a different character, and you've got like some partially unmanned Muppets in like the big group shot before we cut to Gonzo. Yeah, I mean, as 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 we said before, clearly they did not have enough puppeteers to puppet all the Muppets in that one shot. So a lot of them are just stationary with, like, one hand going up, probably get a stick underneath the stage that one of the other puppeteers is kind of lifting with their foot or something. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, in direct contrast to, again, having recently watched the Muppet movie and looking at, like, that big shot like before the, the the hole in the in the skylight opens up and you just see that big collection of just this impossible number of muppets and you're thinking about how many human bodies close together there are controlling those things and it's just crazy to think about but it's also you know kind of wild to contrast the muppet movie all the characters are like well defined and developed in everybody's like relationship to each other is all figured out compared to then watching this early episode where they're still finding that stuff like you know even kermit's personality seems just a little bit off in this episode as i said before like we don't get the yay that we <laughs> normally get with him but yeah Je jealous kermit doesn't quite seem himself here like i feel like the way he would come off later would be like it culminates in you know the muppet show debut of being green which is exactly the kind of bittersweet Kermit response we would expect. But, like, there's... He seems a little bit more 
angry in the way he's hurt than I think you would see later. Yeah, that's our storyline throughout this entire episode is that everyone, every cast member of the Muppet Show is fawning over P- Peter Ustinov and how great an actor he is and how it's an honor to share the stage with him. And Kermit's like, well, last week you said it was an honor to share the stage with me. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kermit's feelings, man. Yeah. And it's all funny. It just isn't quite the character's uh, responses the way we would see them later. Yeah. Even even Piggy, who at this point, the beginnings of that Piggy in love with Kermit thing is starting here. Uh, at least in the, in, you know, the beginnings of it here, here, here. And all of a sudden, she's fawning over Peter Ustinov in one scene and then crying over Kermit during her big somebody's done somebody wrong song. Yeah, which I think is another segment that was probably just recorded for whenever and they shoved it into this episode, not thinking about how it might, you know, affect that overall finger quote storyline. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I, that was the, the UK spot for this episode. Oh, that's UK. I, I wondered if it was. Yeah. Um, have you guys explained the UK spots on this? Yes, we we have talked about the UK spots. But the um the thing is is I don't know if I entirely agree with you about the the Kermit thing because I think one of the things I like about the the Muppet show is that we see the evolution of the characters. And I think one of the things I like about this is that it shows Kermit kind of growing in the same way that that Gonzo kind of finds himself. We we talked about that with Luke, but I think Kermit kind of finds himself too. Like this is the beginning of the the Muppet show, you know, inside the the series as well. And I don't think Kermit is portrayed as being as um I don't think Kermit is portrayed as being as sure of himself in his role as the, you know, leader of the Muppets at this point, which I kind of like. Because if you watch the series kind of through, he does seem to have some growth. And especially if you watch the first season of the Muppet show and then you watch like the Muppet movie and, you know, it does seem to kind of show a progression, in my opinion. Um, and I always kind of liked this storyline because I kind of resonate with Kermit. <laughs> you know, he puts so much into this show and then, like, somebody just comes in and, you know, he's like, especially the bit where he's talking to Hilda. Mm-hmm. And Hilda is like, oh, you know, Mr. Ustinov says that my seams were flawless. and. Kermit's like, I tell you that all the time. You are the best seamstress. You are wonderful, and I compliment you all the time. And she's like, yeah, but what does Frog know? (laughs) 
I, I think what I don't disagree with you, Kiki. I think what I'm saying, though, is that, like, the tone of the way Kermit reacts isn't quite what one would expect yet. Even I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the events, but I don't think Kermit's quite exactly saying Kermit things. Yeah, we, I mean, I, I see what him. you're saying. Uh, I will say, I'll, I'll say this, I... There's a thing I like, and there's a finer point I would have liked if they if they put on it. Like at no point does Kermit, like in the presence of Peter Ustinov, take it out on him. Uh, like he he's, you know, jokes about like the big deal everybody's treating him like. But at no point does he like say anything crappy to Peter Ustinov himself. Like I might have liked a scene where like Kermit's. Like, fed up, goes to talk to Peter Ustinov, like, you know, go antagonize Peter Ustinov, and then, like, Peter's so, like, uh, you know, affable, just friendly to him that Kermit can't, Kermit can't bring himself to do it. And, like, it would have been nice to go from a scene like that to uh, being green. But there's only so much room in these episodes. You only get a half hour to work with. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it goes by shockingly fast. Yeah. The, um, I like that there are, um, you know, you were talking about the explosions and this one has <laughs> one of my kind of favorite using explosions and editing bits, which is that you do something to me. Yeah. Which I think is a great Henson bit. Mm-hmm. Reminds me a lot of the same techniques in the time in the bottle sketch. Yes, very similar. I th time in a bottle is one of my favorite, just kind of standalone Muppet Show bits. Um, fun fact: I am the reason that clip ended up on YouTube for the first time. Eh. The there was no YouTube clip of Time in a Bottle. Um, you could find a lot of other um, you, you, uh, Muppet Show clips. This was before you could get Muppet Show on a streaming service. Uh -huh. And back in the early days of YouTube, people had uploaded individual Muppet sketches. And I was very sad because I couldn't find Time in a Bottle. And I mentioned it on Facebook, and one of my friends said, oh, I have that on, like, a DVD or VHS or whatever. And they dubbed it and put it up on YouTube. And for the longest time, theirs was the only copy of Time in a Bottle <laughs> on YouTube. And it solely existed because I wanted to see that sketch, and there was no way to watch it online. Cool. That's It's kind of shocking sometimes how, like, you know... If nobody else happens to do it, it doesn't happen as far as, like, putting stuff on, like, out there in the internet. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I have a finger quote secret YouTube account called uh, Undead Cartoon Media. That's just me, like, putting, you know, animated things that I happen to have that don't appear to be online anywhere anymore. And just, like, uploading them so they don't get lost to the sands of time. Uh, in particular, like, you know. If my hard drive blows up, will this no longer exist? Yeah. 
Sometimes it just takes one person or, you know, one person to say, where's the thing? And another person to say, here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but this uh, this Svengali bit with the you do something to me, I absolutely love it because <laughs> it is so creative with the way that the assistant puppet keeps changing. Um, that every time they do an edit, the puppet is in a a different kind of uh, creature. <laughs> you know, at one point it's like a, a mermaid kind of thing and a demon and, a, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I, I just, I just love that. It's so cool. Good punchline too. Yeah, and a good, a good punchline. I thought you'd um, never give me back to myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I wonder how many of those, uh, pieces were bespoke for this bit and what was stuff we had lying around from that we just happened to have made. Put this puppet head on any random Muppet body. Give me that cat Muppet. Give me that fish <laughs> puppet. Give me this plant puppet. <laughs> I miss this kind of thing that's like, you know, not necessarily, you know, Muppet characters that we know based. Just like the things that are just like, here's a weird musical bit. We made a Muppet just for this to tell this joke, to do this musical performance. You know, it's it's something like you guys are you guys familiar with Puppet Up? Yes. yes. Uh, has it been mentioned on this show before? Or should I? Quickly... I was actually going to wait to to mention because uh, both you and Kiki have seen Puppet Up. I have not, mm. unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it is done uh, by the you know current Henson existence. Uh, it is uh, Puppet Improv. It is uh, not for kids, but a thing that they've done in the more recent years of the show is pick, like, a few classic uh, Jim Henson, like, not-character Muppet bits and recreate them on stage. And that's, like, a very entertaining thing to get to see. But it's, like, it, make, it makes me hungry for more stuff like that. Yeah, um, when when I got to see it, I got to, to see them do some of the, like, um, I've grown accustomed to your face and yeah. and stuff like that that they've done. And it's really great because if you're watching it live, you can see exactly how the puppeteers are performing it. And if you have an interest in puppetry, watching live how it's done is incredible. Yeah, it, it's really cool and it, like, doesn't it kind of doesn't wreck the effect because I mean like if you know you know if you want the full effect there's like you know screens because it's being filmed and you can see like the way it's supposed to look you know the end product is up there on the screen that you can watch but like seeing people do it just kind of makes it cooler even <laughs> to like see oh human beings have to do this yeah we have talked about some other segments with features uh the black velvet pu uh, puppetry and there's not a, there's nothing in that like that in this episode, but in the puppet up segment, definitely uh, puppet up puppet up shows definitely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, seeing these things performed at all, like if we're just getting to the basics of puppetry for a moment, like there was 
one time I saw uh, like like Grant Pachoco was like hosting at Flappers, our local like comedy Burbank comedy club, and uh, he like he you know he was just doing like you know throwing toaster stuff for most of it, but there was one part where he did like pull out a puppet, but the puppet was just a sock puppet, but like you know a trained like seasoned guy like Grant just a sock, and that's all that's required. Like you believe this thing is alive. Yeah, I mean, the watching trained puppeteers do their craft is some sort of magic that really doesn't exist anywhere else on the planet. And, you know, as as an animator, it's like watching somebody doing animation in real time, in a way. Yeah. The, um... So, so yeah, really, any of this stuff is amazing. Yeah. Um, do we, do we want to talk about the being green? Because this is possibly, other than the Ray Charles version, I think this is probably the most famous version of being green. Was it, uh, because, you know, I, I looked it up because I was like, oh, being green is happening. Is this the first time? And I looked it up and realized it had been on Sesame Street a few t- a few times before this, but I don't know what those looked like. Yeah, it was it was written for Sesame Street, and it was in the I can't remember if it was in the first episode of Sesame Street. I think it was, hmm. um, but. It was then um, performed a couple of times on Sesame Street and a couple of times on um, by Jim on some like uh, talk shows. Oh, like I, I think he did it on like Tonight Show and stuff. Um, but this was the first time it was ever done on the Muppet Show. And if you look up Being Green, you'll get two versions of it most commonly. I think the most common is the Ray Charles version, because that's just kind of iconic. And the second most common version is from this episode. Hmm. This the audio recording of this episode is the Kermit version that I'm most used to listening to on like albums and whatnot. Yeah, I think this is the one that was on that uh, you know first soundtrack album on vinyl I was referring to earlier. Yeah, this is this is the most common audio recording. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, I guess I guess the only segment we haven't talked about is the uh, the night at the pops. That was a long setup for that joke where he says, hey, we, got mem- <laughs> we got members of the Boston Pops Orchestra here, just the wind section, so let's have a night at the Pops. And then there's just balloons popping to classical music. <laughs> <laughs> and explosions. And explosions. <laughs> yeah. There is one There is one that we, we haven't talked about, which I like, which is uh, the Wayne and Wanda. We've talked before about how much I love Wayne and Wanda. <laughs> and they did Autumn Leaves, which I love because, of course, it's a Johnny Mercer song. And I live in the area where Johnny Mercer is from. 
Johnny Mercer is basically hometown hero for this whole area. I have visited Johnny Mercer's grave many, many times. Um, and Autumn Leaves is one of my karaoke standards. Oh, so cool. uh, I love I love that they did this, and it's very fun. Now, I find Wayne and Wanda way funnier as an adult than I did as a kid. I don't know if I got it. But, like, just the idea – just, like – the older I get, the funnier it is that Sam the Eagle just stands this thing that nobody cares about so hard that he's, like, you know, made it a part of this show somehow. And, like, it, it lasts two seconds every time. <laughs> Gotta in- inject a little bit of, of fine culture in this nuthouse of a show. <laughs> right, which, of course, lasts five seconds in this nuthouse of a show. And that's that's just super funny. Well, I mean, I think it's it's so funny because it's like, you know, Sam wants this to be Lawrence Welk. Yes. And yes. I don't think I got that as a kid. <laughs> so. I want it to be Lawrence Welk, but without any of those ridiculous bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, as as a child, I was vaguely aware of Lawrence Welk, but I wasn't um, I wasn't aware of like his place in the zeitgeist and like the cultural thing that he meant, and that this was kind of a takeoff of that, and why Sam would think that that was high culture. You know what I mean? <laughs> that so, they were they were being like look at those squares over there like look at Sam the square trying to make this Lawrence Welk you know there's this specific thing in my life that that Sam and Wayne and Wanda remind me of I, I was working on a show and uh, the showrunner was just like super excited about this director he was bringing in uh, and like you know I meet the guy, and he there's just, like, nothing behind his eyes. There's absolutely nothing. I nicknamed him Dead Fish. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, you know, I leave the show month, you know, maybe a year later I'm at the, the rap party for, for season two, and like, you know, a friend of mine who's also director on the show is just like, <laughs> the showrunner keeps coming up to me super excited that the guy's here. That dead fish is here. And it's like, yeah, okay, great. Just like, just because you're excited about this thing doesn't mean I'd have to give a damn about it. Yeah. And that, that that's what Sam is. It's like, they're here. It's Wayne and Wanda. <laughs> okay. Now for some culture. <laughs> And and then um, I love when we did the Fumpet Show ske- uh, s- sketch that uh, Luke had to put his own spin on the Wayne and Wanda thing with uh, Carrie singing Catch a Falling Star because he had made this star prop and he needed a song that had the word star in it. And I suggested, well, the only song I know that isn't, you know, When You Wish Upon a Star, because he didn't want to use that one because not even he fears the mouse. Was a song, well, there's a song called Catch a Falling Star. That might work. So Carrie does, like, the opening bars of Catch a Falling Star and put it in your pocket. And then the star falls right on Carrie, the the puppet Carrie. 
So it's like, <laughs> oh, it's a Wayne and Wanda segment. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anything else? Or have we talked about the whole episode? Uh, I Other than Piggy not having any eyebrows, I think that's everything that's on my list. Yeah. So we we didn't talk about Muppet News Flash. Does anybody have anything to say about Muppet News Flash? One of the few times the guy doesn't blow up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like we talked with the Paul Williams episode, these first season Muppet News Flashes feel very much like a of the era, and even now SNL uh, Weekend Update sketch, mostly because it does involve the. The guest host, usually as a as a different character. So I did like that we had that little moment, but in this case, he's a doctor that's cured the common cold, and of course, the punchline is he sneezes. Yes, <laughs> because that is always the punchline when the joke is we finally cured the common cold. Uh, el- elsewhere in this season, does the the newscaster does that guy have a name? By the way, uh, no, he's just the newsman. Uh, does he do that bit where like he tilts his head backwards so his glasses will go behind his head and then forward so they'll go back on for the front of his head? Is is that a thing or does I that just happen in this episode? I think it's just in this episode because no, it, a- it, ha- it happens sometimes. Jim Jim would do that as a as a gag. Because there's a few times where the newscaster is not wearing the glasses at all. Oh, weird. Yeah. I think... Uh, but yeah, it, I, I like this Muppets design in general. I always liked Jim's, like, screaming voice for him. I always found it funny. Yeah. Um, We do get... Because a lot of this episode is uh, Yusinov doing, like, his vo- various voices and stuff. And he does a Kermit impression. Oh, yeah, oh, he does. Yeah, it's weird Kermit impression at the end that, like, Kermit makes a funny face at because it's a weird Kermit impression. <laughs> now, <laughs> we we also talk about, because uh, we, we talk about the Star Wars episode this, this episode, and we talk about Mark Hamill's Kermit impression. Mark Hamill has a better Kermit impression than Peter Ustinoff does. Just going to uh, say it. Well, that, I don't think that's a controversial statement. <laughs> but but the thing is, is like, Kermit recognizes Peter Ustinov's Kermit impression. Which is weird. <laughs> considering <laughs> he doesn't recognize Mark Hamill's Kermit impression, and it's much better. And since this is before Kermit incorporated the, yay! You should have to do some. Yeah, that, that. that's weird. What was that? <laughs> it's think... not a thing we've ever seen Kermit do before or since or ever. I think Kermit would think. I think I need to add something after my thing. Uh, that bubble thing doesn't really. Uh, yay! Yay! I think I've got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like you know, I imagine it was some insane ad lib. Which <laughs> then, you know, Jim made Kermit have that facial expression and reply to it like, you can't cut that. It's too funny. No matter yeah. how weird it is, you have to leave that in. I do I do like that in the final thing where Ustinov says, 
where he comforts Kermit and says that he always wanted to be a frog. When Kermit says, I'm jealous because everybody likes you better than me. Uh, Peter Ustinov says, well, I, I've been jealous of you because I always wanted to be a frog. That Peter Ustinov is wearing like a Kermit green shirt. Underneath his jacket, yeah. <laughs> and it's subtle and it's easy to miss, but he is... It looks like he he wants to be Kermit, you know. <laughs> it's it's a very cute little moment that's easy to miss. Yeah, but yeah, as as you guys can see, I picked it because like here's a guest star who truly wants to be there, and it just like he came to play and he did, and I just thought it was, you know. His flavor is different from the Muppets, but goes nicely with them. I thought it was like chocolate and peanut butter, and I really enjoyed it for that reason. Yay. I I still can't get over the fact that the punchline to the joke is they put the hat rack in, in, in the in, in the writing credits. <laughs> that's that's the secret sauce. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the extra mile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, Kyle, thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, but, but before we go, do you have anything that uh, you want to plug? Uh, I am TV's Kyle, T-V-S-K-Y-L-E, in most places. That includes Twitter, I'm not using the other name, and Instagram, uh, as well as Bandcamp, TV's Kyle.Bandcamp.com, if you want to hear my musics. Um, I re just had to completely restart my YouTube account, um, and uh, let's see, I, I, I believe the new one is uh, the name is Kyle A. Carosa with no spaces, but, you know, just look for something that is uh, distinctly mine-like, say, look for Spooky Cube or look for Ground Keith and Miss Citrus, and it should come right up. Please follow me. I lost everyone. <laughs> Please come back and check out everything I posted there. Have yourself a little the, Kyle Marathon, why don't you? Just so you know, the uh, new YouTube channel is at TV's Kyle A. Carosa. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, again, thanks a lot, Kyle, for coming on the show. As always, you are welcome back anytime. And uh, yeah, and uh, after this little bit, we'll be back to wrap it up. Yeah, this show is good for what ails me. Yeah, well, what ails you? Insomnia. Well, that's about to wrap it up for another episode. But before we go, let us give one more special thank you to our guests for our 200th episode. Luke Ski, Adam Liebrick Johnson, and Kyle A. Carosa. Yeah, this has been super fun. Uh, I can't believe we've been doing this for 200 episodes. Wow. What a wild and crazy ride. It has. I'm surprised we've lasted 200 episodes. Here's to 200 more! Yay! <laughs> and, uh... We just want to give a very special shout out to our listener. We do it all for you. But now it is time to move on to next week, Kiki. It's that time again. It is time to get back in the TARDIS as we are continuing our 60th anniversary retrospective of Doctor Who. We have made it to the 10th Doctor, David Tennant. And I know that David Tennant means a lot to you. Indeed. So it is going to be very, 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 very interesting to talk about the 10th Doctor, arguably the most popular Doctor of the modern era. 
And we'll be talking more about that next week. So come back next week for the 10th Doctor. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on the X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.